Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, it's me, Colin, your beloved co-host of Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. I wanted to take a moment to thank you for downloading our show and for supporting us. If you like what we do, consider telling a friend or leaving us a nice review on a podcast service of your choice. And if you really like us, like really, venture on over to Patreon and subscribe to Colin's Last Stand. Doing so gains you access to the weekly Sacred Symbols supplemental podcast we call Sacred Symbols Plus. And you can also get ad-free access to every standard episode of the show, like the one you're listening to right now, three days earlier than the public. Other perks include submitting your inquiries and thoughts to be used on the show, and you can even determine some of the games we record Let's Plays for. I'll be frank, Colin's Last Stand's Patreon is a bonanza of value. And hey, we have merch too, so check it out at tinyurl.com slash sacredshirts. So consider showing your support if you can or even want to. But hey, if you want to just keep listening like you are right now, that's cool too. We love you either way. Enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 69. Whoa. 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 <laughs> God damn it. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined by the sexual Chris Reagan. I mean, Chris, that seems to be the only proper introduction to an episode numbered 69. How do yeah. you feel about that? I mean, it was it was bound to happen. This is uh, unavoidable. <laughs> this is... Pretty much, it was always in the cards. I was kind of dreading this episode a little bit because I know how excited people get 
about the number 69. And I, I got to be honest with you, I don't get that excited about it. Now, I have no problem with that position. It's a fine position. Yeah. But I just it doesn't get me, you know, it doesn't get me amped up to just say 69 like a lot of people. No, it's like a, get amped up about it. it's a 2010, like 2012 kind of kind of Internet joke. Yeah. But it's still around for some reason. It's like ingrained. It's ingrained in our heads. Yeah, it's no good. And I I, I want to get I was you know, like how some elevators skip the 13th floor. You ever notice that in New <laughs> yeah, York City? It's pretty common. Yeah. Or 13th Avenue or 13th Street in a, in a city grid. I was thinking about just skipping 69, but I felt like the fury in the audience would have been so palpable and indeed so sexual <laughs> that I didn't want them to uh, to go without it. But I got to say, like a solid 10 percent of our inquiries on Patreon for this week were just nice. That's all they said was nice. Oh, my God. Well, yeah. <laughs> Like, oh, man, of course. oh, man, oh, man. Well, Chris, are you well? How You were telling me before we started recording, you went to a, a wedding this weekend, so you're feeling quite festive, I imagine. Yeah, I went to a friend of mine's wedding, and uh, it was it was really cool, really fun. Uh, I, I like wearing suits, though, and I don't really have all that many opportunities to wear them without uh, coming across like a psychopath. So, sure, you know, it was a good excuse. No, I hear that 100%. I, I like wearing suits, too, but I'm always a little self-conscious in them because there's all these byzantine rules about wearing suits where the tie clip goes in between the second and third button and the shoes go with this and the belt and the yeah it's a lot, uh, it's a lot. I, I didn't really care that much i just wore whatever the hell looked vaguely okay but right on <laughs> but you know it, it was a lot of fun i saw a lot of people that i haven't seen in a while and uh they're all like uh you know comedy editor youtube people and it was like it was very chill, but it, it didn't feel like uh, it didn't feel like a networking thing, you know. Sure. It felt like everybody just hanging out and having a good time. So I'm feeling pretty good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you're you're feeling good. Uh, welcome everyone to episode 69. Remember, Sacred Symbols is ostensibly a PlayStation podcast. We talk about PlayStation here every Tuesday on Patreon.com/slash Collins Last Stand. You can also be a freeloader on free feeds. Get it three days earlier with ads. And people are actually big fans of those ads. Like, I'm a little surprised by this. I even got a request from some patrons to make an ad compilation because they're get they're not getting the ads. I'm almost <laughs> ruining my own business by making the ads too good. So I'm sorry about that. Or you're welcome, uh, depending on how you look at it. It's kind of an interesting problem to have. Yeah, not bad. Not a bad problem, I suppose. No. Chris, leave us nice reviews on, pay on uh, podcast services. I've been noticing that. We appreciate that. That's really helping us out finding a new audience. Remember, you can also buy Sacred Symbols merch if you don't want to support us on Patreon, or even if you do support us on Patreon, you can just go to CollinsLastStand.com. That'll direct you to the Patreon. That'll direct you to the merch and all the shows we do. And speaking of CollinsLastStand.com, I got to give a shout out, Chris, uh, to my friends at Brick Media, specifically my friend Alex Orovitz. This is a small startup that is making websites and doing marketing for companies and such. And they reached out to me. They're fans of the show and they wanted to make CollinsLastStand.com. So uh, we did that. And by the way, this isn't a paid ad or anything. I paid for the services. Just wanted to give them a shout out. Uh, so they did a really nice job. If you like the website or are looking for anything like that, reach out to Brick Media. Alex at BrickMediaGroup.com. I promised I would shout him out. And uh, thank you so much for your hard work there, Brick Media and Alex Orvitz. Uh, Chris, Sacred Symbols Plus still rolling on. Episode 11 just went up last week. That was you and I discussing the China slash Hong Kong slash Blizzard uh, fiasco and all of that. We got really great responses from that episode. Oh, cool. So thank you all for listening to it. Next episode of Sacred Symbols Plus, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. What should we do, you think? I don't know. How long has it been since we did a, since we did a mail bag? Yeah, we That's haven't done a mailbag in probably a month. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. But there's not Let's much happening that. right now. And then obviously a lot of... Uh, 
a lot of the releases right now are kind of awkwardly paced. So it's not like we could really have that much of a spoiler cast on anything uh, in a timely manner. Indeed, indeed. And uh, I agree with you, actually. With the, the, we're going to talk about spoiler cast in a minute because it has been a little while since we've done one. But you know what? Chris is Chris is right now. Chris is a broken clock. He's only right twice a day. But he is right about this. We should do a mailbag. For those of you that are unaware, you can submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas on patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand to our show. And we're getting so many great submissions that I'm not nearly able to use all of them. But instead of just throwing them away and pretending that you never even said anything at all. Yeah. I've been putting them in a separate Google Doc. And we've been slowly working our way through them in Sacred Symbols Plus episodes when it makes sense. So support us on Sacred Symbols Plus. By the way, people had pointed out that Sacred Symbols Plus episode 11, which was the one about China and Hong Kong, I've been using Roman numeral numbering like I've been saying. It was XI or Xi, oh. which is the, uh, which I think, well, in Chinese, Xi Jinping, would that be his last name? I don't know how that all works. But anyway, it was a weird coincidence. No, I... Th- <laughs> We can't discuss that. We have no fucking we have not even the slightest clue about that stuff. Or doesn't seem very culturally sensitive for us to bring that up in uh, in hindsight. Chris, <laughs> the Death Stranding embargo, Death Stranding is coming up quick. November 8th. Yeah. Uh, the embargo lifts on November 1st. We do not have the game, as we said, I think, last week or two weeks ago. So we'll have to wait until November 8th to start playing. But people have the game. The embargo lifts at that time. So we'll have reviews to talk about in a couple of weeks anyway, even though we probably won't have our own impressions. And hey, before that. Medieval comes out, which I know Chris is very excited about. And I am, too. That comes out very soon. Uh, And also, Chris, did you see that Stadia was given a kind of a silently given a release date of November 19th? Yeah, I did see that. Very uh, uh, strangely silently. Yeah. Like you think uh, you'd think that you'd want that a little bit more out there. But yeah, I mean, hey, strikes me as a soft launch, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like they're like launching in like beta phase kind of. And they're like going to be like, oh, it actually comes out. Uh, February or something. Yeah. Or never could also be another answer. (laughs) But yeah, I saw that. So I just wanted to let everyone know since we're talking so much about PS now. Yeah. Stadia is coming out November 19th. You can look forward to that. Chris, Daniel the Awesome wrote into us on Patreon, just like you guys can. Said hello to my favorite fast food review podcast. Thank you so much. Can I get a moment of silence for my fat PS3? After 10 years, it finally died. It's been a little more than a Lego game machine for my kids for the past few years, but I still shed a single tear thinking back on all the weird and wonderful games and experiences it brought me. Remember the tester, he says. Oh, my God. Time to upgrade the kiddos to a switch. Keep making Tuesdays great. Chris, do you remember the tester? I do. I do remember the tester. I I forgot about it entirely. And now I just had uh, had like a a Vietnam flashback of that of that show. Oh, no. Sounds about about appropriate for people that don't know. The tester was a it was actually kind of clever in the sense that it was a little bit ahead of its time. It it was a PlayStation Network. uh, So you'd watch it on your PS3. You probably watch it on PC. I don't really remember. But it was a PSN exclusive reality show where they would invite a bunch of PlayStation enthusiasts in to to compete. And the winner would become a tester at a PlayStation studio or whatever. I don't know how exactly it worked out for two of the winners. I know the last winner. Uh, works in PR now, worked at Sony PR for a little while and moved on to other PR. But my favorite memory of the tester is we had a deal when I was on Podcast Beyond with Sony to interview the loser out of every episode. They would call in and we would talk to them and I would judge them and uh, also test them myself on their PlayStation exp- you know, knowledge. These people didn't know fucking anything. Yeah, They didn't know a goddamn thing about PlayStation. That was what bothered me the most. So Good riddance to the tester, and hopefully everyone that was on the tester never works again. Wow, that really, <laughs> that really came out of nowhere, huh? Yeah, that was uh, that Holy was like bubbling mom. for years. Oof. Glad I got that off my chest. 
Chris, we also got a letter from Austin N. We actually got quite a few letters about of, of this nature. He said, can we address the comment that a fried burrito is just an egg roll? It is clearly a chimichanga. Everyone knows that. It's a good point. I looked up the definition of chimichanga and it is it literally said fried burrito. So, I suppose I guess an egg roll is more determined like a, a, an egg roll is defined more by what's in it. Yeah. And a burrito is just sort of like the type of confinement. Like a burrito is like anything that's in, uh, you know, like in a tortilla in the way that a burrito is normally folded. But an egg roll is like rolled up and it's like very specific ingredients. So, yeah, it's a fair point. Do you like egg rolls? Not really. I'm not huge on them. They're they're fine. You know, I like uh, as, as far as things like that. I'm like more of like an empanada or like a like a what do you a, a samosa person? Wow. OK. I like samosas a lot. Samosas yeah. are great. But uh, I don't know. Egg rolls are just kind of like uh, as far as seafood goes or they're like, you know, obviously the food that you would have normally accompanying an egg, egg roll. I'd rather just have everything surrounding an egg roll than the egg roll. Yeah, I, I've always wanted to like egg rolls more than I actually do. I'm not a seafood guy. You can get some non seafood egg rolls in my experience, but they're never right. They always taste like there's always something in them that's weird. Like, why is there cabbage in? The, I don't you know what I mean? I'm like, I don't want this. This isn't that's good. how I felt about sushi for a long time. Before I realized that I was eating the wrong sushi, mm. like when I would, I was eat, I would eat the rolls where they would like roll it up in a seaweed and they would put like a here's an arbitrary avocado, here's an arbitrary cucumber, and you're like ah oh, this is uh, awful, and then you have it with just the rice and the fish on top of it, and you're like oh this is so simple and so much better. So I don't know who knows. I'm glad you came around. You're I an did. adult now. I'm I'm 35 and I still can't eat sushi. I can't do it. I, can't do I it. have you tried the the right way? I don't like seafood, so what am I gonna? I mean, am I, don't I gonna like suddenly either, like at all? Yeah, at all, man. I I, I don't res- I don't eat anything that comes out of the ocean because I don't respect anything that comes out of the ocean. But uh, <laughs> but sushi is. Uh, I'm glad you went back. It sounded like you were gonna say respect, and I'm glad that you brought that that in that you don't respect sea life because I don't really respect them either. They're dumb. Gives a shit about those fucking moron creatures. I hope that the I hope the ocean does boil away. <laughs> Let them all die. If you boil Fuck the it. ocean, the sea levels theoretically decrease (laughs) so you're really so you're really saving the planet if you boil the ocean as we become a harsh desert planet much like the uh, twin star Tatooine yeah who needs rain or water yeah we'll have to moisture farm just like the Skywalkers are they I I guess uh Owen Beru weren't Skywalkers I don't know what the fuck their name was who cares I don't know anything about Star Wars Chris Adam O wrote into us said hey CNC congrats on the nice episode so we have a few corrections and things to get into now he says Last week, a listener said he was having issues getting DLC from the PlayStation Store. Well, if you click on the game in your library or when hovering on it in your crossbar, a thing actually pops up to go straight to the DLC themes and avatar items if that game has it. It's actually a lot easier and way more simple than going to the little store icon and typing that in. Now, I respect this, Adam, and I I, I hear what you're saying. We've gotten a lot of this in, but I don't know that that's what we were specifically saying. I thought what we were saying was when you're natively looking for a game that you don't own, just about anything can come up yeah. when you're looking for it. I thought that's what you we were saying. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know. I don't really I don't really remember that conversation all that well. But I, I do think uh, that's a good point, though. I hadn't thought about that. Well, I learned a similar thing. I mean, to Adam's point, I learned a similar thing when I would go to send saves to the cloud. I would always go to settings and then down to the applications thing and put it in that way. But you can actually hit options over the game icon and just send the save yeah. right from there. So I'm just a, I'm just a man of my uh, of my habits, even though they're they make no sense. 
you know, my habits make no sense. Adam Connor wrote into us, Chris, and said, hey, CNC, I always hear you guys talking about how much of a hassle it is to set up PSVR because of the box and wires. Now, I can't be the only one that feels like it's really not that much of a hassle. I always have my PS4 plugged into the box and camera set up for a good at a good height so that when I do want to play, which isn't that often as of late, I just take my headset off the stand I bought and plug the wires in the front of the box and then I can play VR with about two minutes setup time. Surely I can't be the only one that doesn't find this setup a big hassle. I was wondering if you guys have ever thought of always having your PS4 plugged into the processing box to reduce setup time. Thanks again for all the great content. Now, Chris, Adam, Adam has a problem here. Well, this, this kind of thing uh, just kind of I think this is more specific to this kind of stuff that we do, because my PS4 is always plugged into a capture card because I stream it and I, I capture footage from it. And I, as far as I can recall, you couldn't really plug the PS4 into a capture card into the PSVR in a way that was like easy because that's like the, the capture card in and of itself is like kind of like a hassle. So then you're adding like the PSVR into it and then like that's also a hassle. And it's just like, ah, you know, that's that's I guess more on us for having capture cards. <laughs> but like, I don't know, it's it's still just I don't think you're the only one who doesn't who, who thinks it's not that much of a hassle. But I do think most people find it a bit of a hassle because most people don't really have that kind of stuff set up all the time. Most people don't even really have the room to even play VR in the first place. So, you know, I just think it's more of just a your current surroundings kind of deal, you know? Sure. I think you're right. And I think maybe we're being a little dramatic about it to his point. But at the same time, I was talking more about the inelegance of it. There's mm -hmm. fucking eight million wires popping out of this thing. And like I was saying, there are wires on both ends. There's no way to keep that processing box in a way that looks elegant on your on your shelf or on your entertainment system. So that's what I was talking about. No, it's not the end of the world. I mean, I'm stupid as shit with putting things together <laughs> and I still can figure that out. I mean, it's not a big deal, but I just don't want to do it. They need to make it easier. That's why last week when we talked about the the patents for the wireless PSVR 2 headset that we might be seeing for PS5, that was really tantalizing because maybe I'll find another excuse not to play VR when that comes out. But I assume that that's just going to be way easier. It's the cords coming out of both ends that really... <laughs> That really confuses me. I just don't understand what they were thinking with that. But uh, yeah. there must have been a reason for it. I don't like wires strewn about in general. It's like a really bothersome thing to me. Me too. Me too. Chris, Brian Shy wrote into us and said, Greetings, Dictaphonic Colin and Cocksure, Chris. Now, I appreciate, by the way, the Dictaphonic thing, because that means that I sound the same or deliver my stuff always the same. I don't know if that's an in that might be an insult, actually. I don't know. The meatiest of congratulations for stiffening your resolve in the face of haters and penetrating the 69 episode barrier in honor of that titillating milestone. I have a pair of questions for you, handsome chaps. Who's getting really in here? I cut out the, the second question, Brian, because I don't want to hear it from you anymore. I just because you, you, you annoyed me so much. So we're only going to get to the first one. What do you guys consider to be a good video game romance? I can only think of Nate and Elena Drake from Uncharted for the realism and down to earthness. Titus and Yuna from Final Fantasy 10 came close, but the nightmare inducing laughing scene disqualified them. Do you have any uh, go-to romances from video games, Chris, that titillate and tantalize? I can't think of a single one. He's just shaking. I, his I head. can't think <laughs> of a single one now that, like, I've never thought about this at all, and I'm only realizing now that, like, yeah, I don't, I can't, I genuinely don't think I've ever seen a romance of any sort in a video game that I either believed enough to feel anything towards. Or cared enough about to even acknowledge. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So even he, Crash has Crash Bandicoot has a girlfriend, right? No. Oh, really? There's no. I thought there was, he, there's no, no female. Well, there is. Bandicoot? She's in like the first game only. 
Oh, you know, okay. so it's like uh, she was just like the, the princess to save in the first game because uh, Naughty Dog was like, ah, we, this is how we make a game like this, right? And right. Uh, and, and then, then they ditched that bitch. Yeah, and then they gave him a sister oh. in the later games. But it's like, uh, do, do you have one? Because I, I I don't, nothing's coming to mind at all for me. Outside outside of the ones that he's obviously listed. Right. I actually sat down and thought about this for just a little while. And by a little while, I mean one or two minutes. And the only thing I can come up with, I came up with two things. Uh, Mass Effect 2 and 3, I really liked Miranda. I always, I thought Miranda was really hot in Mass Effect 2 and 3, and I really wanted Shepard to get with her and, and certainly made that happen. She was very voluptuous, and right. I can't think of any other appropriate words to say, really. And then uh, also Final Fantasy 6. There was a love triangle between Locke, Terra, and Celis that I thought was pretty cool, but that's obviously... 25 years old now so there are people that have listened to, that are younger than this listening to this you're barely 25 years old in fact i'm tw- i'm t- almost 26 sir oh i'm sorry so you're 25 and change old. i apologize that's right your, your birthday's coming up in uh, december december 3rd if i recall right i'm i'm that's right december 3rd december 4th december 4th okay i was close you were really close though that's close enough that's pretty close it's more than uh my my dad uh once told me happy birthday in in uh i think march <laughs> <laughs> your dad doesn't remember anything about your birth. Now, Chris, that's all I can come up with romances, but I will say for love, and maybe you, well, it seems like you do agree with this. I don't feel like video games do love very well. I don't feel like video games, at least AAA games, the games we think about, I don't think that they do romance well, like movies do or books, novels do. I don't know why that is, but you're right. I mean, because when you think about film, you can think about all sorts of romances that you like or couples that you like or Mm-hmm. You know what you pull for, or whatever. But yeah, games are a little different. But uh, I'm sure we'll get many letters in uh, criticizing and critiquing everything we say about this, because I'm sure that there are many nerdy love uh, things and Vita visual novels and stuff that we're oh. simply not uh, familiar with. Of yeah, course, probably. Chris Xavier wrote into us, or Xavier. I never know how to say it. Is it Xavier? It's Xavier. It's Xavier, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. He said, hey, CNC, was just wondering what game you two are going to do a spoiler cast on next. Your spoiler cast always helped me with my backlog as I try to finish whatever game you choose to do. Chris, what do you think about this? I wrote down a few games. The last one we did was for Control, uh, which bombed. So I don't know how useful that was to people. I thought that game was going to be a lot bigger than it was. Uh, But I have Modern Warfare written down here, which comes out this week. Mm -hmm. Death Stranding, which we noted comes out early November. And then a couple weeks after that, Fallen Order comes out. I assume we could probably get two of three of those in. Death Stranding seems like one we must do. What do you think, though? Do you think we should try to do one for Modern Warfare or and or Fallen Order? They would be obviously Sacred Symbols plus episodes. Yeah, I think depending on how I I feel like Modern Warfare is going to depend entirely on how it strikes me, because like I have literally never played a Call of Duty game in my life where the story was particularly interesting, where I thought like, oh, I don't want to spoil this. I, I've never felt that way about Call of Duty, so unless this surprises me, which it could, I think Fallen Order and, and Stranding are like the more the more uh, narratively potent titles, probably. If I if I were making like a if I were making like an educated guess, I think you're right. I think Chris just made the decision for us, so we will skip Modern Warfare, especially because. I'm going to play that. I'm sure you're going to play that. But that comes out the same day as Medieval. And I'm not trying to be dramatic or not dramatic, but facetious. Uh, I'm way more interested in playing Medieval. So that's going to be first on the list for me before Call of Duty. So, yeah, we'll do we'll definitely do that stranding and then we'll do Fallen Order. That seems reasonable enough. Yeah. And Medieval is going to be quick anyway. So, yeah, the trophies are up. Seems like uh, people are easily getting them. We'll talk a little bit more about that when we talk about the games coming out later on. But I'm stoked about it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. 
Me too. Chris, before we get into what we're playing, uh, Paul Wright wrote into us with the final inquiry for now. He's a little confused. He's European, so they're a little confused about a lot of things over there in Europe. I don't know if you've noticed that, but he says, and now he says uh, up, C and C. What does that mean, you think? A apostrophe up, like A, A apostrophe up, right? That's what it says, up. I, up. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I up. That's too much for me. He said, I just right wanted now. to touch on something you said. I don't, I'm not even, I've been to Europe three times and I'm still not convinced it actually exists. <laughs> he said, I just wanted to touch on something you said on the last show about taxes. I'm buying consoles and games in the U.S. Do I understand correctly that when you pay when you pay, say, three ninety nine, so three hundred and ninety nine dollars for a console, you pay tax on top of what you go to checkout? I live in the U.K. and here when something is priced three hundred and ninety nine quid, it is three hundred and ninety nine quid. Taxes are always included. Hope you can clarify this for curious non-U.S. residents. Cheers for all the great podcasts and keep fucking that chicken. Thank you so much for writing to us, Paul, from the mysterious Europe. Indeed, when we pay something. In a state with sales tax in the United States, which is almost all of the states, New Hampshire is a noticeable state with or a notable state without sales tax. I, I think there are probably a couple of others. So when you go to a, when you in California, when you go pay three ninety nine for a console, you pay three ninety nine. Then you pay, I think, eight and a half percent or whatever it is on top of that, depending on the state you're in. So, yeah, when something is three ninety nine, it is never actually three ninety nine. It's unfortunate, but true. No, I don't know. I, I do like when when the prices are like. I do like that model of taxes being included in price. It really bothers me that we did because it, it almost strikes me as like false advertising. You know what I mean? When he's like, hey, here's $3.99, but also like, fuck you. Here's another $25 that you guys, <laughs> I don't know. It bothers the hell out of me. Yeah, it bothers me too. And, and I'm in complete agreement with you that we should have those things baked into the cake. But my bigger question with Paul is he was saying about 399 quid. Why are they paying with items with squid? I don't understand what that means. They're paying for they pay for things in Europe with squid. 399 squid quid is a really weird word in general. Yeah, I'm not I like it. I'm not crazy about it. I think it's kind of like how we say bucks, right? I, yeah, I guess so. Or yeah. Yeah. The quid, of course, is the pound, the British pound and uh, lots of discussion about the, Brit- the British lately. What with Brexit and all of those exciting things happening. So good luck to you guys. All right, Chris, it's time to talk about what we're playing. Now, I, I usually defer to you, but it says not nothing, not a damn thing. Yeah. Is what you wrote in the document. No, no punctuation not... either. And it's all in capital letters as well. <laughs> I haven't had really much time. Like, I've obviously still been playing Destiny, but it's the, like, what am I going to say about it? You know, it's the same shit. Nothing's really come out. I'm just like really excited about medieval and like outer worlds and all that stuff that's coming out soon. So I, really what I'm trying to do right now is just grind everything in Destiny so I can just stop reliably and feel comfortable about where I've stopped and just go on to these other games that are uh, really close and really around the corner. They really are, dude. I'll tell you there. I mean, I'm getting a little bit. I don't know if nervous is the right word, but it's like a little overwhelming. Yeah. Like there's just so many games. I don't know what to do. You know, I don't know what to do. Yeah. It's a tad frazzling. It is. That's a great word for it. Frazzling is what I'm looking for. So Chris has nothing to really put in. And I understand that. It's like how I've been talking about Borderlands 3 and Tales of Hearts are for like a month. Eventually, you don't want to say anything more about it. Although with Borderlands 3, I'm playing the postgame stuff now and kind of just trying to, you know, maybe go for the platinum. And I'm, you know, I'm enjoying that game the more I play it. I got to be honest with you. Maybe I was a little hard on it. The story, I don't care about it. But yeah, nonetheless. Well, that's good. Chris, the other, I've been playing a couple of other games as well. One Night Stand is this game that I picked up. It's uh, pretty cheap. I think it's only $4.99. I actually got a code for it. It's a game that can be over in a matter of seconds or minutes. You basically play it over and over again, and it's kind of like a visual novel type thing about waking up in a bed next to a girl. You don't know how you got there or who she is, and then you take it from there. It's pretty cool. 
And uh, I really liked it. So I got the platinum in it. And there's a lot of interesting. It's it, I like games like this. I don't need to play them all the time, but I really, really enjoyed the nature of this game, the way it made me feel, mm-hmm. um, the the narrative and the and just the the dialogue. We've all been in awkward situations with members of the opposite sex or the same sex, whatever you know, in a romantic situation or in a sexual situation. And I think that there's something to relate to here. Um, That's cool for a lot of people. So I highly recommend it. Yeah, I recommend it. Very good game. Uh, I also fucked around a little bit with the Bradwell conspiracy, which is I think from what's that team called Bossa? They're the guys that did surgery simulator or whatever that game's called. And and I think that goat simulator game. So this is actually a different kind of turn for them. And it's a cool idea. It's like um, it's kind of like a podcast or um, a pocket. Why would I say a podcast? It's kind of like an adventure game, like a walking simulator slash puzzle game that takes place in a fictional future, uh, slight future Britain where a museum is built at the at Stonehenge in southern England and about this weird shit that happens there. It's it's pretty cool. It's a little bit weird. Uh, you can tell it's not written in native English with some of the stuff. Some of the art assets and stuff have weird English in them and stuff, which really is removes me from the experience. But that's kind of uh, not a huge deal, I guess. And then finally, I got around to beating Concrete Genie. And I do want to read this letter from Ryan Del Vecchio because he's right. He, and I got this feedback a lot. He said, hi, CNC. Just writing in out of curiosity. Last week, he said uh, Colin said he purchased Concrete Genie for $40 when the game is actually $30 everywhere else. What the fuck happened here? I think there is a deluxe edition with the VR compatibility. So maybe you got that version. That is what ended up happening. I bought the VR version on mistake for $39.99. So that's my fault. That's my problem. The game is $29.99. I still think it's not worth $29.99. I'm not really crazy about the game, but I'm glad I saw it through to the end. I think it's scattered and quite vague in the way it plays. Uh, but the message is really cool. And like I said last week or two weeks ago, I, le- I-, I struggle with playing games that are about bullying and being bullied and, you know, it's kind of sad, that kind of that kind of subject matter. And that's yeah, what Concrete yeah. Genie is about. But um, but I like it. You know, it's fine. Uh, I, I think for 19, if you can get it for 14.99, 19.99, I think it's totally worth playing. But I don't know where these like amazing scores were coming from. I, I'm just not seeing it personally. I think the game is quite frustrating, actually, to play at times. And otherwise, Adam Laws wrote into us before we get into the news, and he says, Dear Colin and Chris, my first Metroidvania is almost in the books with Blasphemous. I have been loving it since starting, and I highly recommend it. Have either of y'all played it yet? If you have, any thoughts? Uh, I did play a little bit of Blasphemous. This game is interesting in that it comes from a Spanish studio called The Game Kitchen. It was published by Team 17, which was responsible for publishing Overcooked and Ukulele and those kinds of games. What's cool about Blasphemous is that it takes place in Spain or in a Spanish setting with highly Catholic and Christian themes and messages and um, thematically it's like really beautiful. I think it plays a little stiff and I I only played it for a little while. It's really hard actually. Um, But if that's your first Metroidvania, I find that really fascinating because it is such an inaccessible Metroidvania that that's really quite a surprise to me. Um, So anyway, yeah, Blasphemous is out there. I don't really recommend it because I haven't played enough of it, but that is that. Chris, do you have anything else you want to add before we get into the news? I think uh, I think we're good. We are, too. I think we are, too. Chris, let's get into it, then. All right. Number one, it appears once and for all that the hideous PlayStation 5 V-shaped dev kit is real. A new image of it appeared on a YouTube channel called Zone of Tech and shows the unit in far more detail than previously seen. Emblazoned with Prototype 1 and not for re- or not for sale in all capital letters on the upper left side, the PS5 dev kit has an optical drive along with four or so USB ports, some lights and other dev kit only notifiers and more. 
This all but corroborates design patents first reported by website Let's Go Digital back in August. However, we shouldn't fear too much when it comes to this unit representing the final design. The PS4's pre and post launch dev kits looked a lot like old school computer towers turned on their sides and didn't resemble the final PS4 form factor in any way, shape or form. What we've been waiting for now, above all else, is a picture of the controller, since the earliest leaks of DualShock 4 ended up showing a completely accurate representation of the final product. Chris, how do you feel now that we know? We know that these PS5 dev kits, based on multiple sources from Codemasters and others, we know they're real. Uh, how does that make you feel? It's, uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, you do what you do, I guess. Do what you gotta do. But, uh... I know that they don't represent the final design, typically. I, I, I just w wonder why they even bothered designing it in such a weird, specific way. You know what I mean? Like, it's like it's one thing to have a box with vents on it that just sort of, like, that's sort of nondescript and, like, you know, it's just like, ah, it's just like a... It's just a box with all the components of the would-be PS5 in it. But, like, why then with the, the weird embossed vents and it seems like over designed for a dev kit aesthetically speaking you know what i mean yeah absolutely it's just i don't know i i guess i guess it's not that big of a deal because you know we we gotta wait till it's actually real i i don't know <laughs> that thing i still think it looks fucking hideous and i hope to i hope to god that uh that it's not a real fucking thing yeah and it I'm a little confused by the amount of effort put into the into the, the like the dev kit as well. You because the PS4 dev kits were so much different in the sense that they just they they didn't look like anything at all. They didn't have any sort of form factor. They didn't look. Uh, you wouldn't even really know that they were PlayStation anything except for there were small PlayStation logos on some of them when the leaks started happening. But I think we're going to start seeing the controller leaks soon because they must be using controllers on the dev kits, and I'll be interested to see what those look like. Yeah. That'll be much more exciting than seeing the kit because those will be a, a parallel one-to-one -one of what the controller actually is, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, no, definitely. So we'll, we'll see more about that, Chris, I think in the near future, uh, hopefully. Although Sony, as we noted last week, said that they will not be showing any more talking much more about the unit themselves. That's not going to stop their third parties uh, and leaks from happening. And I've always wondered, by the way, do they do anything different to like, do they say they, they distributed 500 dev kits, right? Do they do like really mild, weird shit to each of them aesthetically so that if a picture leaks, they can tell where it came from? You ever think about that? Yeah. Like where there's like, like a, there's a weird line on all the Activision dev kits so that if one of them leaks, then you know, you can at least trace it to where it might have come from. That would be smart. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, would be I would do something like that. I remember, uh, I remember like a uh, like a story that was like kind of similar, where like uh, I think early on during the, I think Xbox 360's development, people were like walking around with really specific looking briefcases that were supposed to look like they had the the unit in them, but they they were really just like fancy briefcases, <laughs> just to, just to throw thing throw people off. So it's not throw like, off the scent. Yeah, so it's not like uh, that kind of strategy isn't a thing that people think about or hasn't ever been employed before. So it's, it could be, could be a thing. Yeah. It's a little paranoid, but uh, I would be a little paranoid. I mean, if I were them. I mean, it's, it's, there's reason to be, everybody wants to know about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, expect to hear more in the near future. Yeah. 
The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Number two. The American government has officially inserted itself into a row that's been brewing between publisher Activision Blizzard, its consumers, and the Chinese government and business interests. In a letter written to the publisher's CEO, Bobby Kotick, on Congressional Stationery, the letter states in part, quote, We write to express our deep concern about Activision Blizzard's decision to make player Ing Wai Chung forfeit prize money and ban him from participating in tournaments for a year after he voiced concern for pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong. This decision is particularly concerning in light of the Chinese government's growing appetite for pressuring American businesses to help stifle free speech, end quote. It points out Chinese mega company Tencent's investment in Activision Blizzard's Chinese eSport initiatives and later continues, quote, because your company is such a pillar of the gaming industry, your disappointing decision could have a chilling effect on gamers who seek to use the platforms to promote human rights and basic freedoms, end quote. The document is signed by a bipartisan group of representatives and senators, including Democratic Senator Rob Wyden and Republican Senator Marco Rubio and Democratic House members Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, Tom Milanowski and Republican member Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin. Uh, the publisher has yet to publicly respond to this congressional letter. And the only reason I wanted to bring it up, Chris, was because we did do a Sacred Symbols Plus episode, as I mentioned already about this. But this had broken since then. And this actually does signal the American government's um, subtle involvement, at the very least in this ongoing saga do you think that this is going to matter at all when money is at stake uh i mean typical i mean governmental pressure is a pretty big deterrent to for anything um so I, I would imagine it would have some effect or at least more effect than probably anything else would like i think of all the things that could happen to make a difference this is probably one of them especially because it's so bipartisan that's what i was going to say too is that the, the washington dc can't seem to do almost anything together and I'm not saying that um, there aren't letters like this sent from bipartisan congressional delegations and stuff like that. These things happen, but they can't do anything together. They can't pass anything. And the fact that they got someone as extreme on one side as Alexander Ocasio-Cortez and then someone who is pretty conservative like Marco Rubio on the other side, just as an example, signing the same stationery, I think, is a, is a pretty good sign that the pressure is going to be exerted. And it's really going to be up to consumers of Blizzard's products to keep the pressure on because they only care about money. Yeah. Um, so so if everyone forgets about this moving forward and maybe by the way, I'm not judging anyone. Some people might might assume like this isn't really as we spoke about on Sacred Symbols Plus, like this isn't really a fight worth having because we can't really do clean economic deals with almost anyone if you want to count all of the fucked up shit that happens in these various countries. And that's a point well taken. But this is a good sign that the American government is paying attention and that they recognize how big the gaming industry is and how big Activision is in particular. So uh, I will be interested to see and, and we'll be following this closely. And I know this is especially going to affect you, Chris, as you were planning on entering a Hearthstone tournament 
uh, soon as I recall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You telling me. I was gonna take. Uh, I was gonna play. I was gonna take the place of every single Chinese player. Actually. Wow. Yeah. That's intense. Mm-hmm. That's intense. It's a big schedule. I hear all 1.4 billion people in China play Hearthstone. <laughs> By the way, I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> Number three. The day this podcast airs on Patreon, the 2019 World Series between the Washington Nationals and Houston Astros will have begun. But that hasn't stopped Sony and Sony-owned devs San Diego Studio from announcing the next entry in their annualized MLB The Show franchise. Not surprisingly, the next game exclusive to PS4 is called MLB 20 The Show, and it's set for launch on March 17th of 2020. If you pre-order any of the three collector's editions of the game, however, you'll get to start playing on March 13th. The cover athlete this year is the Chicago Cubs' Javier Baez, and in addition to the $59.99 Standard Edition, you can also get the following three more expensive editions. The MVP Edition, which comes with a steelbook case for physical orders, as well as a bunch of digital goods for $79.99. The Digital Deluxe Edition, which comes with a bunch of digital goods for $99.99. And the Anniversary Edition, which comes with everything already noted, plus a special New Era hat. Oh, man. Now, this game is a big seller. I'm a little surprised that they're already announcing it. It's a little weird to me because the World Series hasn't even begun when we're recording this, but they're getting way out of the way out ahead and releasing the game in their traditional March, uh, March uh, time period. You know, I've always wanted to go. I know you're probably not interested in this at all, but I've actually wanted to sit down and play the show for several years. I've just not gotten a chance to do it because it's supposed to be excellent and I've not played it at all this generation. So it's supposed to be a very true to form, very similar to NBA 2K20, a very sim- a true to form, very well done sports game that they somehow make in like nine or ten months. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's pretty. It's uh, pretty impressive, and it always sells a ton. So it definitely does. Um, and I'm always impressed by that because it is console exclusive uh, to PlayStation. Uh, I'll reiterate what I've reiterated in the past, by the way, Chris, is that I still can't believe that no one else is trying to fight Sony for this license because I don't think it's exclusive. It's not like Madden, which is like EA owns the NFL license, basically has licensed it exclusively. No one else can make an NFL game, but I don't think that that's the case with baseball. So it's a little weird that you would just seed it not only to a competitor, but to a competitor that locks it on their console. No one can play a triple A baseball game on Xbox. It's not possible. You yeah. know, it's, it doesn't exist. It is really weird. weird. Yeah. So anyway, we were, we're wishing our best to those guys as they finish the game. And uh, of course, we're very excited to hear about Sony San Diego's second game that I will remind everyone is rumored to be an Uncharted game. So we will see if and when that comes. Do you think, by the way, that they'll release the show on PS5 next year? Or do you think they'll wait until the 2021 edition to do that? They'll probably wait till the 2021 edition. I don't. Yeah, uh, you have to assume so. Yeah, I I think it would just be too confusing. Otherwise, it's already such a confusing generational swap that I don't think they'd want to muddy the waters any more than it's already going to be. Yeah, you're right. And and while assuming, Chris, that the console comes out in November, which I think we, we assume it will. So it will be out in about a year from now. Baseball season will be done by then. The next game will be a few months away. So, yeah, there's no re- and, and of course, the forwards and backwards compatibility makes it kind of moot as well. I'll be really interested to see when they release in 2021 the PS5 version and the PS4 version. We haven't gotten two versions of the game, I think, since 2014, I think, is when they stopped making the PS3 one, maybe 2015. And they haven't made a Vita one since 2013 as well. So uh, it'll be the first time we get multiple SKUs. And uh, they're probably stressed out as fuck when you really think about it, because they actually have to make two versions of the game now. It's not like just making subtle roster updates and stuff. They have to actually make the game on PS5. So we'll see how that all works out for them. But we're wishing them the very best. Chris, number four, some tantalizing stuff in here. There are some interesting new tidbits about in-progress games at a couple of Sony first-party studios, one early in development, the other likely further along. 
First up is a slight nod on the LinkedIn profile of Sony Ben's Jeremy Vickery, who worked on Days Gone as the senior staff lighting lead. It's a little bit of a weird title, isn't it? Yeah. Senior staff lighting lead. That's a really strange one. That's super specific. You think you would either be the senior staff lighter or you think you'd be the staff lighting lead, right? Yeah, well, no, no, he's a senior one. It's a little strange. Website Push Square notes that Vickery's LinkedIn profile says he's, quote, now involved in the pre-production planning for our next title, end quote. This isn't exactly a surprise, considering Days Gone's modest critical reception and exceptional commercial success. However, Sony hasn't been shy about shuttering its teams, though this indicates Bend is safe and that at least part of the team has moved on to what will almost certainly be Days Gone's sequel on PlayStation 5. So that's pretty exciting. We know uh, Bend is safe, it seems like. Not a huge surprise there, but we're glad to hear that. And uh, Chris, meanwhile, the website also points to a tweet from an employee at Sony-owned studio across the world, a tweet that has since been deleted. Darren Randall, Gorilla's principal animator, tweeted from a Stockholm mocap studio that he was there doing motion capture, presumably for one of Gorilla's reportedly two unannounced games. Gorilla's last retail release was 2017's Horizon Zero Dawn, and it's widely believed that the team will be ready to go with something new at or around PS5's launch in late 2020. I always feel like when you delete shit like that, you just make it weirder. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know that he did himself any favors. I didn't check on the LinkedIn profile, Vickery's LinkedIn profile, if he deleted that. But it's always a Streisand effect. That's why you got to be really careful about what you put out there to begin with. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. I mean, it seems a little um, I'm looking at the clock here. You know, I'm not going to say I was going to say it seems a little late date wise to be doing mocap for Horizon 2 if it's going to be a launch game. But that's not necessarily true because. We said similar things about The Last of Us doing really late minute motion capture, and that ended up being under a year before the game was ready. So yeah, my my assumption is that mocapping is such a common thing now in the industry that people are a little bit better at dealing with it and a little bit more efficient and uh, better at managing that time. I mean, people can do probably you probably do mocap for like emotes and like you know what I mean in like a in like a live service game and have them up. And into the game in like a matter of a matter of probably weeks. Yeah, I, yeah. So I don't I don't think. Yeah, you're probably right, Chris. I, I think um, it's also worth noting that very similar to audio and other things that they might be doing pickups of some sort. You know, like we we have a camera angle that's not represented in this scene. We need you to just, you know, I'm sure that they call the people back to do what they you know, if there's anything that's lost in translation, as it were, between a script and the game's creation. So this could be that, too, that they just need Aloy back or whatever to I forget that woman's name that plays her, but um, to just get a few things in or whatever or DLC stuff or it could be for their second game, um, which I believe is is certainly going to be a a, a team shooter. Uh, I don't know what, if it's going to be SOCOM or Killzone, um, but I think it's going to be one of those things. So we'll see. But very exciting. Do you think Horizon 2 will be a launch game? I think I think it's more likely that we're going to see a shooter. A shooter. Oh, okay. I think I think that I think the shooter is going to I I don't know if necessarily it'll be a launch game. If anything, I, I'd expect it maybe early the year after. OK, I could see that happening. I don't know if it, I, I feel like we would have heard a little bit more about Horizon specifically if it was Horizon. I don't know. That's just my like weird inkling about it. Yeah, they've been pretty tight lipped about it. Now, I understand that that we're in this weird space where they can't technically talk about PS5 games yet. And I think that they're trying to get through at least The Last of Us before they You know, Ghost of Tsushima is probably going to be the one that suffers the most from PS5. Yeah, because it's going to be coming out in that weird space. Uh, But I think they're trying to get through The Last of Us at least before they start talking about anything else. But uh, you're probably right, because 
Horizon came out in early 2017. They did release that that winter themed kind of expansion. And the other they, they've always been known to have two teams. They did have that team they were supporting in Cambridge, England for a while that did the Killzone game on Vita. Um, but you're probably right just in the sense that making a, uh, making a Vita, making a shooter is probably a little bit more manageable yeah. than making the sequel to Horizon. And so you and they, they probably need that shooter more than they need uh, Horizon as well. I think yeah. that they're going to need a service-based exclusive shooter. Yeah, no, I agree, it's especially in that launch window, because, I, I I mean, if I were in the industry, I would also be paying attention to the fact that, you know, the next Xbox is going to be launching with a Halo game, and you're going to 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 launch your PlayStation without a shooter of any kind and just sort of rely on the standard, oh, a Call of Duty will be out. I don't know if I would make that call, necessarily. Yeah, you're right, and that's a great point. That's a powerful point, too, because... Halo, for as much as Gears and Halo seem to have been declining a little bit, I mean, that's what people have been saying anyway. It's hard to kind of see now with Game Pass, especially uh, obscuring sales Uh, like Gears of War didn't sell that well, for instance, the new Gears 5. But we don't really know because it still had millions of players on Game Pass. So we don't know how it would have turned out. But putting up PS5 without a big first person exclusive shooter, I think probably would be a mistake in the in the shadow of Halo. But it's also maybe not a fight they want to have, because if you're going to put out Killzone, for instance, they always wanted Killzone to be a Halo killer. That was the idea of behind Killzone, as people might recall, when the first Killzone came to PS2 was to be a a competitive product for Halo. And Sony certainly believed in Killzone enough to buy Gorilla, because a lot of people also don't realize that Sony bought Gorilla after Killzone came out. So and I think that was in 2006. I actually think they bought Gorilla Big Big and Evolution, two of those studios don't even exist anymore in the same time frame. But yeah, they need something big. But wouldn't it be interesting, Chris, if the other tact was to just not compete with Halo at all and just kind of even let them suck all that energy up with Xbox for the time being and then come out really powerfully in 2020? Uh, or 2021 I'm sorry 2021. I mean, you you could, but like uh, then that leaves you still need a launch game, right? Which would make it another third person you know, action game. You know what I mean? It's just, I, I wonder if people looking to go to PS5 are going to see yet another one of those third-person action games and over-the-shoulder camera and all that and be like, hey, you know, these are good, but it's also like, this is a new gen, this is a next generation, and it's it looks like we're getting another one of these. Yeah. Especially with Ghost of Tsushima being another one. I, I I I don't know. I I would want a more diverse launch lineup. I agree. I, I do have lingering concerns about who's going to be ready to go. I think this is something we're really going to have to examine in the coming months because I just I think Polyphony might be ready to go. But we've talked about this in the past. I just don't know with Naughty Dog going so late, Sucker Punch going so late, Santa Monica going so late, Gorilla kind of still being in this in this stasis period right now. Media Molecules obviously occupied. Insomniac just went now that Sony owns them. I don't know who's going to be ready to go. You know, that's that's a big problem. Now, we'll see how that all shakes out. We'll have much more to conjecture over in the coming weeks and months. Chris, number five is uh, the MPD Group. The MPD Group, which tracks game software and hardware sales in the United States, has released its monthly data, this time analyzing September of 2019. Perhaps not surprisingly, NBA 2K20 was the best selling game of the month. But the crazier stat is that in only 24 days on the market, NBA 2K20 is already the best selling game both overall and only on PS4 for the entire calendar year. How does that strike you just before we get any, even any further? NBA 2K20 in 24 days outsold every other game on the American market uh, in uh, over a nine-month period. 
It's uh, <laughs> it's 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 baffling. It's crazy. <laughs> it confuses me every time I see these numbers for sports titles. But I guess it's a lot of people. Yeah, people just buy these. You know, I think there's a lot of people out there that own millions that own an Xbox One or a PS4 only to play Madden, only to play NBA, only to play the show and maybe Call of Duty or something in there. Lots of people playing lots of these sports games. And it, it we were talking about Sony and their baseball license with the show. But another thing, another lesser known thing about Sony San Diego is that back in the day, people might remember that they actually did a basketball series as well. That was on PS2, PSP and PS3. And this kind of license is open because EA has the license as well. The NBA, they, they kind of sporadically release games on it. You would think Sony would want to chase this. What, don't you think? Yeah. No, I, I, I you'd think. They have a studio that can do it. I mean, they had Sony San Diego, which kind of absorbed the spirit of nine, uh, nine, eight, nine back in the day, which people might remember. Um, so I've always been confused that they shuttered that basketball game. I can't remember what it's called. It had a name. It was like the life or something like that. Um, and then they the show has been going on that entire time. But anyway, props to 2K because they also uh, on the overall charts, the PS4 uh, only charts alike, both have Borderlands 3 and FIFA 20 slotted in second and third places, respectively. So 2K has the top two best-selling games of the month, including the best-selling game overall for the year. Other notable games include Madden NFL 20 at 5, Ghost Recon Breakpoint at 6, Code Vein at 8, which is surprising, Plants vs. Zombies Battle for Neighborville at 17, Spider-Man at 18, and Catherine Full Body at 19. Mortal Kombat 11, Borderlands 3, Madden NFL 20, and Kingdom Hearts 3 are the second through fifth best-selling games of the year so far in the U.S., MPD data continues to track what should be somewhat obvious this late in the generation. Software and hardware sales are falling mightily year over year, and the consumer seems hungrier for new hardware than we might think. And just to reiterate, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but no control on this list again. Yeah. And just for any excuse makers out there, Catherine Full Body charted at 19. Battle for Neighborville charted at 17. And the biggest surprise is Code Vein. Code Vein charts at 8. Code Vein is a post-apocalyptic Bandai Namco action RPG. It actually looks really good. But that should just go to show you how bad Control sold. It's kind of sad. They're nowhere on any of these lists. It is really weird. Surprising. Very surprising. Chris, number six. Respawn Entertainment's first foray into the Star Wars universe, Jedi Fallen Order, has officially gone gold. Meaning the game's core development is done and that it's all ready to be submitted for certification and publishing. Word comes by way of Respawn's official Twitter account, which shot out a, pic a picture of the team celebrating in front of the studio's HQ. Jedi Fallen Order is some sort of action shooter RPG light and launches on PlayStation 4 and elsewhere on November 15th. Ben Williams wrote into us on Patreon, just like all of you can, and said, hello, comely boys. That's not very nice to call me a comely. <laughs> right? It's come though. I'm thinking of homely. Yeah. We've had this problem, I feel like. C comely is good, right? I think so. Comely is a good I think thing. so. Homely yeah. is bad. Right. You don't want to be homely. No. I wanted to hear your thoughts on Jedi Fallen Order. Personally, I think the story sounds interesting and the graphics look impressive, but I cannot I cannot get over the main protagonist. He looks so incredibly uninspiring. The voice acting is boring and the look of the character does not scream Jedi to me. However, the worst part is the way the lightsaber is held and moved. His animations look weak and without purpose. The lightsaber doesn't seem to have any weight. His normal animation of turning on and off the lightsaber looks the most off to me. I could go on, but what are your reservations about the game? Do you share my concern about the main character, or am I just a stuck-up, half-witted, scruffy-looking nerf herder? And then he says, pray for Mahomes. Uh, I am praying for Mahomes because the uh, Kansas City Chiefs are the only route by which the Patriots do not win the AFC. This doesn't mean anything to Chris, of course. No, nothing. But uh, nonetheless. Now, Chris, 
do you have any concerns about this Jedi Fallen Order game? Because I'm not paying close attention to it. I kind of want to be surprised when it comes out, but I'm not so shocked that the game looks a little off. It seems to have been made very rapidly. It's being made, I think, not on proprietary technology at EA. It's being made, I think, on Unreal, if I recall, but I could be wrong on that. Don't hold me to that. And it's kind of something new for Respawn. It's not a shooter. It's not Titanfall. So I'm not shocked that it looks a little off, but I also don't think it looks terrible. I mean, I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, I don't think it looks terrible at all. I, I, I'm definitely curious about it, but I'm not I'm not, I'm not that big of a Star Wars guy anyway. Like I usually I like Star Wars stuff when it like surprises me, but I'm never excited about it. So this is another one of those things where I'm like, I'm hearing a lot about it being kind of like an open world kind of Metroidvania style uh, Star Wars game, almost like a. Uh, not dark. The Dark Souls comparisons are getting a bit ridiculous, but like it, like the Surge style, kind of like oh, here's some you know, somewhat deep combat and like a vaguely open world and like that seems kind of cool to me. But I'm, I haven't really been paying that much attention to it. I don't think the animations look all that off. I think uh, if anything, it looks pretty impressive when you consider. <laughs> it looks impressive to me considering where Respawn is typically throwing their weight uh, in F- uh, FPSs and you know, first-person shooters and that style of game. I, I wouldn't have been able to guess that this was Respawn if I didn't just know that, you know, and that's uh, that's kind of cool. I agree. I'm super interested. I'm interested in your opinion on it when the game comes out as a Respawn fan because you're so passionate about Titanfall uh, that I'll be really interested to see if they are able to fulfill uh, whatever you want out of their gameplay because I know that that's such an important thing. It's very similar to the way we feel about id. Yeah. Where we have expectations. I don't know that they're going to be able to or that they're even aiming to make the game as kinetic as yeah, I Titanfall is. I, I don't think so. I think I'm going into this expecting a very different thing. I don't necessarily expect re- the respawn speed <laughs> from a game like this, but I am expecting a certain level of quality that I think they can they can easily hit. I hope so, because they really, they really need this one. Mm-hmm. Not only... Does Respawn really need it? But EA needs it too. Respawn needs it because Titanfall 2 is very well respected, but it didn't sell very well. And that was EA's fault, obviously, by cannibalizing it with its own games, as we've talked about ad nauseum on the show back in 2016 with the Battlefield 1 and all those kinds of things. But also, EA has not treated Star Wars very well. And I think people are just about over it with them um, as far as the license is concerned. And I think that this is their last moment to make hay out of this because... With the canceled Amy Hennig game, we never got, obviously, that out of uh, Visceral. And the Battlefront games, I know people like them in, to varying degrees, but the, I think we can all agree that Battlefield 2's, or Battlefront, I'm sorry, Battlefront 2's uh, campaign is terrible. And they need something story-driven that adds meaningful lore to this universe. So in multiple ways, I think this is their last shot. They better hope they fucking nailed it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> they really do. Yeah. Uh, Dissector ZA wrote into us. On Patreon, it says, hello, CNC, longtime listener, first time commenter. My question is about when games go gold, when the dev team takes their photo of the game going gold, holding a Blu-ray disc in their hand, showing gold. Is this just for social media purposes or do they actually send that physical disc through to the manufacturer for printing? I'm sure there is an ISO sitting on a server somewhere. It just got me thinking surrounding the devs writing the physical media these days with everything mostly digital. Love the podcast and all the work you do. Keep Tuesdays great. So my I don't know for sure, but my assumption is that this is done for effect mostly now, but they also do share like I used to get a bunch of builds. This isn't so common on PS4, but on PS3, we used to get builds, tons of builds on very similar discs like that. 
um, that were like, you know, here's a portion of the game. Here's half of, because the PS3 was very open like that. And here's a final build and here's a gold master and here's like the certification build. Those things probably are printed on disc. They probably have to prove that they're running on disc and all that kind of stuff. And obviously they're going to submit them on disc to be manufactured. But I think a lot of that stuff is really more of a for effect thing at this point, because I'm sure that they're submitting because you have to think about it. Like most games on PS4 are not disc based at all. None of them. Most of them don't run on discs. Yeah. So there certainly is a way at the very least to submit your game for a certification without a disc. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there is. Especially because, every, yeah, the, I'm sure there's like an ISO on a server. You're totally right. <laughs> yeah, I, I would imagine so. I mean, I'm not I'm not very technologically advanced, as everyone knows, but I would assume that that's mostly done for effect. And when our game's done, maybe we'll just make I'll just go buy like a Blu-ray and just write Goldmaster on it, even though it's not <laughs> even going to be on disc at all. We should. And we could just take a picture with it. That'd be, that'd be good. Chris, number seven. I'm really interested to hear what you think about this one. The smash hit MOBA League of Legends is coming to PlayStation 4, though in slightly modified form. This new game is called League of Legends Wild Rift, and its officially its official website confidently claims that it will, quote, play authentically to League with slight changes for more thumb-friendly casting, end quote. Like the original League of Legends, Wild Rift, Rift is a free-to-play supported pro- a game supported primarily by cosmetic microtransactions and will have its own ranked leaderboards, a roster of 40 playable characters to start, and bonuses for those who have connected their PC League of Legends account to Wild Rift. Developer Riot Games is currently soliciting signups for closed alphas and betas, but those looking to play on console will need to be patient. It doesn't sound like the game will come to PlayStation until 2021 at the earliest. League of Legends originally launched way back in 2009 and continues to dominate the MOBA market a decade after launch. With tens of millions of active players, professional leagues and series, and millions of dollars of prize and sponsorship money changing hands each year. Riot has long resisted bringing its smash hit game to console until now, signaling what is perhaps a necessary move to keep the game's player base as large as it has traditionally been. Riot has also been entirely dependent on League for some years, and now, along with its newly uh, revealed fighting game and some other projects, it is finally beginning to diversify. I can't help but, but wonder what you think of this. This seems so late, and yet I am so intrigued by this game because so many people still play it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's a good move. I think it's a game that uh, probably could work pretty well on console. I think Diablo three was one of those weird ones that actually ended up working super super well on console compared to uh, compared to its PC counterpart, in my opinion. And it's a popular game for a reason. I I never really got that into it. I played it a bit back in twenty I think twelve or twenty eleven. Uh, it wasn't my kind of game. Maybe I'd play it now that there's controller support, but even then, I can't imagine that it's going to be much of an appeal to me but i mean a lot of people are probably going to like it that probably wouldn't be able to play it previously so this is this is cool and also the fact that they're working on a bunch of other things is pretty cool too i, I like that me too it, it it brings me a little bit of hope for them uh because i was actually i had my friend leah jackson on fireside chats i think last year she works at riot and i was talking to her a little bit about like aren't you guys worried about how you rely on one game like just one game. Oh, for, that's at that point, 10 years old. You know, it just seems really risky. So I agree with you. It's it's a, a diversifying game, but I, I understand why people like it. Like I, I'm not I, I played it only once. We, I, I joked around about it a lot when I played it back years ago. It's not a game for me, but you can see how people really are, are getting into it. But it puts me off for the same reason a lot of online games do. It just seems like the learning curve is so high and people are so good at it. Uh, that how do you like really get in you know like how do you play reasonably it's like when people really shy away from playing call of duty 
because they're afraid of just getting, you know, terrible kill to death ratios and not having any fun. I assume with tens of millions of people playing the game that they've figured this out. Uh, but it just seems like it has such a high barrier to entry with its skill, even if it has such a low barrier to entry with its price, which is which is technically free. Yeah, no, I think you're right. But I'll tell you, Chris, it is exciting to see a lot of these traditional mouse and keyboard games coming to PlayStation. We had mentioned a couple of weeks ago with Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate 2, Icewind Dale, Planescape. There's a lot of games that are coming that are really relying on PC and or mouse and keyboard. And I wonder with this game, if they talk about control support or, you know, controller support, which is great. But I'll just go back and reiterate, like there has to be ubiquitous mouse and keyboard control on a lot of these games. And we've been getting a lot of letters that some games do accept these things. But my point is, is that it should be like a, a more a truer thing that's like part of the certification process to allow your games to be played with mouse and keyboard. Like imagine being able to play Killzone on PS5 with a mouse and keyboard. I think that would be pretty cool if they give you that option. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it should work the same way that PC games work when you plug in a controller. It just automatically accepts that it's a controller. It understands what it is. I think it should be a similar thing for mouse and keyboard for the next gen in general. I agree. And I, I know that there's a sort of problem with skill level and 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 time to shoot and all those kinds of things but they can rectify that just by reading what your input device is i would assume i assume that they already do this yeah on other products so we'll see how that all shapes up angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well i absolutely love this because you know if you own a home it can be really hard to maintain it's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Number eight, Bethesda Game Studios is putting the brakes on some already announced expansions and updates to its apparently still well-populated online RPG, Fallout 76. Key to these updates is Wastelanders, which the studio claims, quote, is turning out to be one of the largest expansions we've ever done, end quote, and will need extra massaging, which will push it out of 2019 completely. Bethesda is now aiming to get Wastelanders out in the first few months of 2020 and will bring with it much needed NPCs that will help keep the game vibrant. 
On the back of this delay, Bethesda Game Studios also revealed that private servers, a much-requested feature, are launching very soon and may be live by the time you hear this podcast. The server's costs remain to be seen at the time we're going live, however. The blog post is clear that even more is coming in the future, including uh, continued tweaks to the Atomic Shop, new events, and more. I was really interested in reading about the Atomic Shop, Chris. I don't know how much you know about this, but it used to just be you'd spend in-game currency on, like, cosmetics. And actually, the ironic thing about this is that people are complaining and they're going to start making it so that you can get other items on the Atomic Shop that are not cosmetic. So it's the exact opposite that you usually see with microtransactions in games where the microtransactions are now going to be, I don't want to say play to win, but much more in that line. Yeah. But they're making that decision over a year after the game had come out. So it's kind of kind of bizarre. That is super weird. Was that like requested? It must have been. That's really weird. That's so strange to me. As far as I understand, I think the the currency is called atoms. Yeah. And I think people were complaining that they were they couldn't spend them on anything they actually wanted or were useful. Um, So there are going to be things like I I was reading. One of the things is like they're going to now release like a refrigerator. So you could spend atoms on a fridge for your house or your dwelling and then put food in. You know, so it's not going to be anything. I don't think you can kill people with necessarily or other players. What I find funnier is that there's still no NPCs in the game. (laughs) That is that is. (laughs) That is something. How is that possible? I don't know. I don't know why they released it in the first place like that. Like it's it's I I I I don't understand that at all. There's NPCs in every online game. Like the the thought that like the the, the thought that you could <laughs> release it without it is so especially because it's such an RPG heavy game. That's so weird. It's very weird. I I I will not pretend that I understand that because I just don't. You know, long live Fallout 76. People are are digging it. So we will uh, we will we will check back in, let's say, when whenever this new shit comes in and, and we'll certainly hear from you uh, out there in the audience about it. Number nine, the long awaited sequel to 2004's cult hit PC RPG Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines has been delayed and will no longer launch in the first months of 2020 as originally planned. In a blog post to the fan base, developer Hardsuit Labs noted that three and a half years into development, they simply need a little more time, though they're still aiming to get the game out in the 2020 calendar year. Interestingly, the studio candidly notes that it doesn't want to repeat the errors of the original, which the letter states, quote, was famously launched too early. Over the last few months, it became clear that that to stick to our original date would risk repeating that mistake. We won't do that, end quote. Hardsuit Labs is the team best known for 2013's free-to-play FPS Blacklight Retribution, and they're partially owned by Paradox Interactive, which is publishing Bloodlines 2. The original Bloodlines was published by Activision and developed by a studio called Troika Games, which went out of business shortly after Bloodlines launched 15 years ago. It's also worth noting that early next year, there is an adventure game coming out in the Blood in the Vampire the Masquerade series as well. It's apparently maybe coming to PS4, but it's not confirmed yet. So we'll have information on that soon, but that will come out before Bloodlines 2. Um, so we'll keep closer eye on that moving forward. Chris, this one I added just before we started recording. Yeah. And it will certainly incense many of our audience. Number 10, in its ongoing quest for world domination, European mega publisher THQ Nordic has revealed that it's now functioning out of Japan, a market it hadn't yet penetrated. The company is called THQ Nordic Japan. In a press release, the publisher said in part, quote, in our opinion, the only real way to truly embrace the Japanese market is to run it with a team of Japanese professionals, end quote. This is great news for Japanese gamers looking to get THQ Nordic published games, but it's actually probably even better news for those of us outside of Japan, since THQ Nordic will undoubtedly begin to identify and publish Japanese games to the Western market as well. When I read that, that's what I got excited about is that THQ Nordic is now going to go and buy a bunch of these obscure Japanese teams 
and release their games in Western markets. So that's actually that's actually way more exciting than the usual shit uh, that we make fun of them for. (laughs) That actually is kind of cool. I want I wonder what the hell, man. Like, that's what an interesting game they're playing, though. Like, still definitely there. They released that game. God, what is it called? Wrecked, which I think is like a truck destruction game. I think it came out like last month and it charted on PSN. In the top 20. So they're they very quietly bought as we discussed uh, in previous episodes. They've really cleverly maybe depending on how much money they make, but cleverly went and bought all of these mid tier studios that make like very specific games like the guys who make the Tour de France games. Now THQ Nordic owns them, you know, like weird shit like that. And they could just annualize these games in perpetuity and people seem to buy them as long as you keep your costs down. There's money to be made here. So I'll be very interested to see what they extract out of the Japanese market because there is a lot of stuff in Japan that does not get translated uh, and localized for our market. Yeah. Which is too bad. And that's always been true, but it's too bad now in our globalized uh, audience. Number 11, if you're still playing PS Vita like I am and want to connect it to the PlayStation Store or to sync trophies, you'll find a new firmware update to download the fourth of the year for Sony's dying handheld, according to website Silicon Era. Firmware update 3.73's function is unknown, though the rapid fire updating of Vita's firmware seems to be in direct retaliation towards hackers and homebrewers who have been breaking open the handheld with increasing success over the last couple of years. Homebrewers, 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 homebrewers can't say that word very well. Uh, I actually ended up getting this uh, update. I was pinged for it this uh, past weekend so I can sync my trophies. Damon Weathers wrote in and said, hey, Moriarty and Maldonado. So I finally rebought a Vita. I had the original OLED version at the release, but handed it down to a sibling just two months later. You're a piece of shit, Damon. You're, you're, you know, you're responsible for all of this and hadn't realized it was the slim model till I took it out of the box. And because I obviously can't read, call me crazy, but it feels like a really cheap build. I don't mind that it's lighter and that it lasts longer, but did either of you prefer the heft and build feel of the first one more? Maybe I'm trying uh, tying heft to quality and shouldn't be, but I was t- a tad disappointed. I'm hoping that it'll go away once I dive into some games. If you have one to suggest starting with an RPG uh, or an RPG, I would appreciate it. As always, keep keeping Tuesdays great. Thanks. Damon, that letter fell apart a little bit at the end. I should have probably proofed that a little bit more. Yeah. Didn't we just talk about this last week? I yeah, we did. We did. We talked about <laughs> we talked about how the uh, I didn't know. It was when we were talking about you not knowing that you could charge the beat. <laughs> Right. So that was two weeks ago then. Yeah. uh, That embarrassing little thing for me. But yeah, the OLED original OLED 2011, 2012 version of of Vita, I think, is vastly superior because of the quality of the screen. And I like a little bit of heft in my controllers and in my handhelds. Not too much that I don't like switches heft, for instance. I think it's too heavy. But I think the original Vita was perfect. Now, uh, Damon, you might be happy to know that you will adjust, I think, to the new Vita. I did, too. I didn't think I was going to be able to adjust to it. But I ended up adjusting to it just fine. I think you will, too. Uh, an RPG. How about uh, Rainbow Skies? That's the RPG I recommend for my friends over at East Asia Soft. Uh, and finally, Chris, uh, 12 is a wrap up. Mm-hmm. The PlayStation blog reports that adventure game Close to the Sun is coming to PS4 next week on October 29th. Website Push Square reports that shooter Zombie Army 4 Dead War is coming to PS4 on February 4th of 2020 and that Shadow of the Tomb Raider's previously leaked definitive edition is indeed real and is coming to PS4 on November 5th. Website Gamatsu reports that RPG Sunless Skies Sovereign Edition is coming to PS4 in the first half of 2020. That puzzle game Fogs or Fogs, that's P-H-O-G-S, uh, exclamation point, all in capitals, is coming to PS4 in early 2020. That co-op action game Munchkin Quaked Quest is coming to PS4 on November 19th. That rhythm shooter Avicii Invector is coming to PS4 in the spring of 2020. 
that visual novel Root Letter will be coming to Western PS4s in 2020, and that both roguelike Ultra Age and turn-based RPG Warborn have been delayed out of 2019 and into 2020. Chris, uh, specifically about this Dead War, the Zombie Army 4 game, have you ever heard of these Zombie Army games? Because I've always wanted to play them. Yeah, I've heard. I keep hearing about them. I, I keep They're seeing supposed them. to be pretty good. I keep They're seeing them on good. lists, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll, there's got to be something to it right i think so i have the zombie army trilogy i got it from i think i bought it a long time ago i just not have not played it but hey if you any of you guys or gals out there have any experience with zombie army let me know because i think it looks really cool it looks exactly like what i think i want which is kind of like a single player horde mode yeah that's kind of how i see it but i don't know if that's exactly true so people can write in and correct us now chris as tradition dictates we will go through the new game releases on PS4, PS Vita, and PSVR, and you will begin All right. at your leisure. Battle Planet Judgment Day comes to PS4. Battle Planet Judgment Day is a planetary roguelite top-down shooter. <laughs> Good lord. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, you, are <laughs> you are one of the universe's three most wanted criminals on the run, fighting your way through hordes of aliens, military, and police units. There's only one way to reclaim your freedom. Destroy them all! Wow. Seems like you're really you're fighting the aliens, the military and the police. I will say again, Holy I shit. will say again, please. We we know the name of the game. You don't need to put the name of the game immediately preceding it in the write up. We understand. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I completely agree with you there. But again, no one gives a shit. That's true. So that's which is why we do this to begin with. It's a fair point. I can't wait to write mine as well. I, I, part of me, when we write for our game, you know, when it comes out early next year on PS4 and Vita, part of me wants to write like something really great. I think that's what I'm going to do. But part of me wants to write something horrible and just see if it gets through. Because that would be like a really great in-joke to our audience. We should right? repeat the name consistently. Right. Yeah, that's a, great, that's a great idea. We still haven't said the name. Beholder 2 comes to PS4. You are a newly employed department officer with the Ministry of a Totalitarian State. While you are poised to have an illustrious career and possibly become prime minister someday, the way up won't be easy. So how high up the career ladder will you climb? The choice is yours to make. That's interesting. You, you're, an, you're a minister in a totalitarian state. It sounds like a serious uh, tropico yeah, <laughs> or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Bonfire comes to PSVR. Be the star of an absurd alien adventure with Ali Wong in an animated survival story of trust and friendship. You're Scout 817 of Space Force, but you've just crashed on an alien planet. Your only tools for survival are a fading bonfire, a robot, and a limited supply of marshmallows. And what's that sneaking around in the dark alien jungle? Hmm. I like that Space Force is actually a thing now. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask, you think that that's Trump's Space Force? Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. It's such a it's so weird to me that that's like a real thing because it sounds so fake. I know it's awesome. I imagine that when the Air Force, I think we didn't start calling the Air Force the Air Force until after World War Two. So that must have probably sounded weird, too, at some point. But I don't know. I, I don't know. I think we can do better than Space Force, but I don't have an answer for you right now. But I got to say, Chris, about this game Bonfire, I've not seen anything about it, but the very mechanic of having a bonfire that's fading and then you have to keep feeding it as you go explore is actually kind of neat yeah kind of feeling that idea it is it is kind of interesting next up is call of duty modern warfare not to be confused with call of duty modern warfare it comes to ps4 prepare to go dark modern warfare is back i almost said dak or dak <laughs> prepare to go like dak. i was from massachusetts the stakes have never been higher as players take on the role of lethal tier one operators in a heart racing saga that will affect the global balance of power. Infinity Ward delivers an epic reimagining of the iconic modern warfare series, 
from the ground up. And we are very excited that this will include the return of the campaign, which we've not we didn't have last year. Yeah. And supposedly it looks pretty good. It does. Cat's Quest 2 comes to PS4. Cat's Quest 2 is a 2D open world action RPG set in the fantasy realm of cats and dogs under threat from a continuing war. Between the cats of fe- f- Feline Guard. <laughs> f- feline Guard, I assume? Feli- yeah, I guess so. Yeah, feline Guard and the advancing dogs of the Lupus Empire. Oh, Cat no. Quest 2 tells the tale. Oh my god. Oh tale, no. Tale. <laughs> the tale of two kings brought together against their will on a possum journey to reclaim their thrones. Yes. Very good. <laughs> Very good, whoever made Cat Quest 2. Dark Devotion comes to PS4. Explore the secrets of a mysterious fallen temple and put your Templar faith to the test in Dark Devotion, where no sacrifice is too great in praise of your god. Measure your devotion and your bravery by journeying into deepest darkness. <sighs> uh, into deepest darkness? It's a weird... For answers to questions that will challenge your very existence. Okay. Pass on that one. Deep Space Adventure comes to PS4 and PS Vita. Join the D Team, a top secret security force that protects the scientific space stations from virus contaminations. Uh, uh, mm. Take on randomly generated levels to save everyone before they all get infected. Avoid traps and monsters to survive the sweep. Are you ready to protect the space stations from biological threats? I'm afraid I'm not. I'm afraid I'm not ready. Door Kickers Action Squad comes to PS4. Rescue hostages, disarm bombs, and save the day in this old-school side-scroller action game with retro graphics and retro sensibilities. Online and couch co-op included. Choose your gear, then kick the doors down and face the action. And when it gets too hard, bring over a friend to help. Choose your gear, then kick the doors down and face the action. Kick the uh, doors. (laughs) Face the action. I will do that. Thank you. East Shade comes to PS4. You are a traveling painter exploring the islands of East Shade. Capture the world on canvas using your artist easel. Talk to the inhabitants to learn more about their lives. Make friends and help those in need. Discover mysteries and uncover secrets about the land. Experience how your actions impact the world around you. This is a good example of I don't know what you're even saying. Yeah. Right. And, and like, like, what is this game? It feels like advice almost. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like someone trying to tell me like, uh, yeah, you got to calm down, man. You got to look at the you got to look at the experience, the impact you have in the world around you. Just take it easy and paint, man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A game known only as horror stories. A lot of thought was put into that one comes to PS4. How do you imagine murders are committed by serial killers? (laughs) You find yourself in one of these situations in which you must not catch the eye of the killer. Find items that can be used to create a trap. Learn how the killer behaves to avoid him and try to survive by killing him. That reminds me last night, uh, Aaron and I watched. I haven't seen this movie since the 90s. A Scream. Yeah. Have you have you seen that, I, I assume? Yeah, yeah. With uh, Drew Barrymore and all these people in it. What a weird... That movie's so fabulously 1996. It's awesome. And I, I didn't remember it starting the way it starts. Do you remember how it starts with Drew Barrymore? Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't remember that at all. So I was like, it just got right into it. You know, I was like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was really, it's a really swift movie. It is. And you know what? It's, it's not that bad. I got to say, it's not that bad. No, it's not good. It's got but it's not that it's bad. got an air of uh, campiness to it that I think help protects it. Definitely. And also Courtney Cox is in it as well, which is excellent. Let's sing country comes to PS4. All begins with the first tone. 
Create your own spotlight with the hottest tracks in country music, courtesy of Let's Sing Country, and follow in the footsteps of cutting-edge artists. Cutting-edge country artists. Hottest, yeah, I mean, there's that one song that has the rapper and the singer, the country guy in it, right, that uh, I've heard? Old Town Road. Yeah. But it's that's, like... That seems like a pretty big yeah but it's like it's it's like what was it billy ray cyrus you know what i mean it's not oh, it's not okay. like yeah it's not like daryl worley took a break from writing 9-11 songs to <laughs> to make some kind of <laughs> dance remix fair enough this looks like a good one for you it's called lonely mountains downhill <laughs> comes to ps4 just you and your bike taking on a thrilling ride down an unspoiled mountain landscape Make your way through thick forests, narrow trails, and wild rivers. Race, jump, slide, and try not to crash. All the way from the peak to the valley. I guess only the title sounded good for you, not actually anything else about it. Yeah. Lorne Sword, Winter Chronicle, comes to PS4. Lorne Sword is a story-driven action strategy game. As Corin... La- oh, my God. Corin Lanka... <laughs> As Corin Lanka, that's a name. That's the name. I'm not yeah. saying a, I'm not saying a real word stupidly. You will have to use both your sword and your mind to cut through battles, fight, lead your men, capture gold mines, and build uh, <laughs> build your base and call a friend to help you at any time. Build gold, capture gold mines, not build them. Capture the gold mines. Yeah, Lorne's, don't mind if I do. Lorne sword is a hard, uh, hard, harder word to say than you you'd assume. Launchwood. By the way, uh, I heard. I don't know if this is true or not, but have you heard this thing that if you took, if you made like arbitrarily made, I think a building that was twelve stories by twelve stories, so a perfect square, twelve stories high, twelve stories across, twelve stories deep, that you could fit all of the gold ever mined in the history of humankind in that twelve stories. You ever hear that before? I didn't. No, I've never heard that at all. It's pretty interesting. That's weird. Pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. It just goes to show how valuable it is because like everyone has gold. Do you ever know? Like everyone has something that's gold and we're, we're, we're told that how valuable it is. And I guess it it, it, it is valuable. It's over a thousand dollars an ounce. But I, I thought you you would think that there would be more than that. I don't know. Like people should. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Nah, the, the whole oh, gold. You got to get gold. It's like if society truly crumbles, uh, no one's going to be looking for gold. They're going to be like looking for, you know, food and uh, water. Yeah. I, yeah. And weaponry. No, you're absolutely right. That always puzzled me, too. Like, I was a big Ron Paul fan to no one's surprise, of course. And the big thing that I was always confused about when I was uh, when he was running for president was this whole like buy gold and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, all right. But if the monetary system collapses, then who the fuck cares if I have gold? Yeah, nobody. You know, like, yeah, yeah. Gold it is just only, never made any sense. Gold to me. is <laughs> only valuable because money exists. <laughs> it's it's really it's really strange. Like, no one's going <laughs> to. Like what? Like gold will be useful in like you know putting a brick, a gold brick in your pocket, and, and uh, beating somebody to death to take their to, to take their food when uh, when society begins looting. Right, right. Uh, but uh, very little else. I'd like to think that I would take my gold and much like Mel Gibson in The Patriot, I would melt them down into bullets, which I would then use on people. Gold bullets. I'm gonna gold I'm gonna bullets. I'm gonna go ahead and read this one because uh, oh, I'm I'm yeah, excited it. about it. Yeah, take it. Go medieval, take it medieval comes to PS4. This beloved fan favorite has been completely remade from the grave up, blending Ooh. classic gameplay with stunning visuals. Step into the bones of Sir Daniel Fortescue, a slightly inept and long dead knight, <laughs> accidentally resurrected by his greatest enemy, the evil sorcerer Zarek. With a second chance to foil his greatest foe, Dan will once again set out to save the kingdom of Galomir and earn his place as a true hero. Very well done. I'm so excited that you're excited, and I'm excited too. 
Three exciteds in a one sentence. That's a great uh, write-up also. It is. It's it's funny that how when it's Sony's own games, they seem to care. <laughs> but they don't care about anyone else's. Yeah. Always, always curious about that. Minotaur Arcade Volume 1 comes to PS4 and PSVR. Minotaur Arcade Volume 1 brings you two arcade-style games in a classic yet modern style. You can even play in VR to get that Tron-esque feeling of being inside an arcade game. Volume 1 comprises two classic Llama Soft titles, Grid Runner and Exhilarating Shooter, uh, and oh, I'm sorry, Go- R- Grid Runner and Exhilarating Shooter and Goat Up, a fun platformer. Mm, okay. It's a thing. Yeah, it sure is. It doesn't sound bad to me. No. P- uh, PBA Pro Bowling comes to PS4. Lace up your bowling shoes and experience the most realistic bowling simulation ever created with PBA Pro Bowling. Uses accurate pro bowling styles featuring uh, motion-captured animations, expert commentary, and do- <laughs> and do- dozens of venues and environments. Do you like to bowl? No. I, well, actually, you know what? I haven't been bowling in a while, but I, I remember having fun. I, I don't know if... If I had a bowling alley walking distance from me, I'd imagine I'd go. But it doesn't seem like something I'd ever want to, like, make a day out of, you know? Sure. Yeah. I like bowling. I went bowling with my family back like last Christmas or something like that. And we had we had a good time. The name of this is really bothering me, though. Because Do you know what PBA stands for? I, I assume pro bowling something. Yeah. Pro bowling association. So it's called pro bowling association. Pro bowling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like a it's like a uh, it's like a write up. It, it is. It's like they don't care about the name or the write up. Uh, but I, yeah, shout out to bowling. It's it's not bad. The only time I would bowling's on ESPN sometimes. If you accidentally wa- well, if you watch the uh, Monday or Sunday morning NFL show before football games start, which I know you don't, but I know a lot of people do, and then you don't switch over to a game when they begin on other channels, they always play bowling. <laughs> and like, it's easy to like get sucked into this for like ten minutes, be like, why am I watching bowling? And these guys are fucking good, dude. You know, like the guys that bowl and the the ball like curves and like goes all the way to the gutter and then goes right back in. Yeah. And destroys the and the pins like explode. Like when I throw a ball down and they hit the pins, the pins like teeter over. Yeah. <laughs> uh, probably shouldn't be re- admitting all of these uh, shortcomings. Raging Loop comes to PS4. Immerse yourself in a thrilling psychological horror story taking place in the secluded Japanese village of Yasumizu. A heavy mist surrounds the place, preventing everyone from ever leaving. Ancient gods have come back to hunt the villagers down one by one. The feast has begun. Can you escape the village alive? No. God willing, I won't. (laughs) (laughs) Robox, not to be confused with Roblox, comes to PS4. Uh, Robox is an easy-to-play, fast-action, fierce-fighting robot boxing game with uh, breathtaking graphics. Play against your friends or against the smart artificial intelligence, parentheses, AI. Thanks for uh, that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Robox player uh, fighting to knock the opponent out with a devastating final punch and experience the true might of steel. Street Outlaws The List comes to PS4. Fasten your seatbelts and take a ride inside the world of Americans street racing and street outlaws. The List. From a custom street rod to a, f- a race-friendly farm truck, the vehicles and their drivers have one thing in common. The need for speed. If you're not on the list, you don't matter. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's very 90s. I know, it's awesome. Um, <laughs> the Legend of Heroes, Trails of Cold Steel 3 comes to PS4. Uh, Rain Swar- What the? F- Rain Schwarzer? Schwarzer? I guess, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, sure. uh, Rain Schwarzer uncovers a dark plot that threatens his homeland. To face their enemies, he must prepare a new generation of heroes as an instructor at a, at a new branch campus and guide them towards victory. 
That's a that's a storied series, right? Yeah, it is. I was going to say this is one that people are super amped up about and is already selling very well, it looks like, and getting good reviews. It's got a good, a great Metacritic score, I think, in the mid eights. That's great. Uh, the the interesting thing about this is that there's no Vita version. The first two were on Vita as well, so you have to play this one on PS4, unfortunately. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, uh, it could have been a better write up. <laughs> yeah, because it, it, it assumes. So I think the game is about the series is about like a like an academy. Right, right. And so they don't. So that's where the campus thing comes from. But they don't really explicitly say that. So it is a little weird. Yeah. The Outer Worlds comes to PS4. The Outer Worlds is a new single player sci fi RPG from Obsidian Entertainment and Private Division. As you explore the furthest reaches of space and encounter a host of factions all vying for power, who you become will determine the fate of everyone in Halcyon or Halcyon. Is that how you say it? I don't know. I think it's Halcyon. Halcyon. Thank you. In the corporate equation for the colony, you are the unplanned variable. So go enjoy Obsidian's maybe final PlayStation game since they are now a Microsoft studio. That's cool. I'm excited about that one. Me too. Uh, All right. WWE 2K20 comes to PS4. Uh, Your favorite WWE superstars, legends, Hall of Famers, and NXT's best uh, will uh, will join the festivities and celebrate the rebirth of WWE 2K franchise. (laughs) 2K invite. Oh, my God. So many 2Ks. uh, 2K invites players to step inside the ring with WWE 2K20, which will feature key... (laughs) 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 <laughs> Which will feature uh, key gameplay improvements, streamlined controls, and the most fun and creatively expansive entry to date. So, have you been seeing anything about this particular game at all? No, I, I WWE games just sort of fly out of uh, this dark, uh, this dark abyss, and just sort of find their way into society and I never really know what to make of them or like uh, I never really paid attention to when they come out ever. Yeah. So the interesting thing about this game apparently is that it it's not made by the traditional studio that makes the games it's made by visual concepts which is a, a studio that's totally new to it the games used to be made by a japanese studio called yukes y-u-k-e apostrophe s which i'm sure people have heard of and 2k has handed it over to an entirely new studio and apparently the games I, I can't speak to the nature of the game's quality i don't play wrestling games but apparently the game looks like shit Oh, <laughs> like where I'm see- like, I don't because I don't play wrestling games. I don't care about wrestling um, and I usually wouldn't see that stuff. But there are literally stories being written about how bad it looks and and people saying I think Push Square was saying how it's like one of the worst looking PS4 games. Uh, so we'll see if Yuke's gets that uh, contract back next year. Yeah. And finally, Yoga Master comes to PS4. Yoga Master is the first wellness game of its kind built entirely in 3D and designed by experts to help you reach the perfect balance between mind and body. With an amazing soundtrack of original music, avatar customization, and BMI calculation, Yoga Master is the ultimate yoga game. I've always wondered, do you think, like, do people play these wellness games? Like, Wii Fit was really big about 10 years ago, but otherwise, like, do people, like, do people play these games? I bet people buy them. Yeah. But I had, I had a Wii Fit, and I can, uh, I can tell you I, I stood on it only when the Wii was off, just out of sheer amusement. Right. Right. Uh, and that was it. it I want to see a I want You know how they talk about how you go on the stump, that old saying you go on this. You give your stump speeches, which is an old American saying for people that don't know about American candidates used to go to towns and stand on like, you know, a stump or a box. Yeah. And give I, their speech. <laughs> that's what it feels like. I'd like to see people go around and stand on the we fit thing instead. Yeah, I, they just go around. They throw that out there. They yeah, stand on it, that. It's such a weird like I, I used to mess around with it. And I think. uh I think the only th- experience I really ever got out of the Wii Fit was like, oh, so this is what uh, being a five seven is like, because <laughs> it gave you an extra inch and a half or whatever. Yeah, and it was just like, all right, I guess. 
you got a little bit of a, a different glimpse. Yeah. But you're a very you're a very confident mid five foot person. Oh, thank you. You know, like, I, well, I think a lot of people you've talked about this, I think, whether on your shows or on our show, I don't know. But I've heard you talk about it in the past. Like, I don't think because I'm six feet tall. I don't think that it matters as much as a lot of like short men think it does. As long as you carry yourself confidently, that's who you are. Yeah, I really yeah. I really don't think it. I can't relate to people who are complaining about it. Unless you're like, I don't know, like, like if you're like 4'11", they're like, all right, yeah, <laughs> that might that might be harder to, to you know, just confidence away. But like, because uh, then you're just a tw- you're a tall dwarf at that point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should get into the questions. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good enough. As tradition dictates, we have six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas to end with. From our audience, remember, you can submit your questions, your inquiries and all of that to patreon.com slash Collins last stand. If you want to partake, just like Zach Wishnuff did, he said, CNC, you guys have previously discussed how the advancement of AI will lead to benefits in the video game space. This was mainly in regards to the difficulty of games and how NPCs react to players. I want to delve a bit deeper. Do you think that a true AI will have any benefits to the development of games? Can we have AI continuously develop games, thus reducing dev times? Keep up the great work. I think this is really interesting. And I, I got to admit, I mean, how many times have I said this on this episode already? I don't have a lot of not technical knowledge, but I can't help but notice that people much smarter than me or people even running for president, think like Andrew Yang and these guys that are talking about automation and AI and, and the, dis- the disruptive nature of the so-called fourth industrial revolution. One of the things that these people talk about is that they think that there's some safety, like the whole like learn the code thing about how, oh, the coal miner in West Virginia will just learn how to you know write C plus or whatever, and then he'll become a, a coder or something. A lot of these people say that we won't even really need coders anymore in a couple of decades because computers will write their own programs. Uh, I don't know how much you know about this more than I do, Chris, but do you see a situation where a game can be because I like this? He says, could we have a, an AI continuously develop? Do you think that there'll be AI structured in the future? Maybe. And we're just talking hypothetically, of course, that patches games on the fly that realizes what's wrong with them, what people are like, what people, you know, sticking points, you know, heat mapping and all that kind of stuff. What do you think about the future of all that? I I think that's a long, long ways away. I I, I think uh, the most that you could argue is that you could probably see a game, the, the most complicated game an AI could develop now or really in the foreseeable, like, you know, short term future is probably like a like a Madden, you know, like or like a sports game or like maybe like a like Hexic HD or something like that. I have no doubt that uh, you could write an AI to develop a game like that. But I I, I, I don't know about you're not going to get God of War out of an AI, like not for a while, not for like well beyond. <laughs> we'll probably be, be dead by the time that's even remotely possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right, because e- there's even these really hyper intelligent computers like that play Go and chess and all this kind of stuff at a really high level. In fact, I think that they've now created chess programs and Go programs that are basically unbeatable. But I also just think about like games like No Man's Sky and stuff. It's like you can you you look at a game like that and you can uh, you can uh, you can tell. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You can see the shortcomings and you can see it in just a lot of randomly generated roguelikes. Like you can even see that in Dead Cells and games of a really high quality when you just start seeing things pieced together the same way over and over again. But I bring that up only because we taught computers how to play chess. We taught the computer how to play Go. We taught them the rules of the game. I don't think a chess AI can learn how to play chess by watching, not physically, but watching in a computer, other people play chess and then garner the rules of the game that way. And I bring that up only because I feel like you have to have that ability first. Yeah. Then you create something else. I could be wrong about that. People can write into me again. I know there's a lot of technical minded people in our audience 
But I feel like I agree with you. We are so far away from that reality. Yeah. And it just goes to show you that I don't think we can teach a computer how to play chess at a high level without teaching it how to play chess. You know what I mean? So that's like a big that's a big gap. Yeah. Yeah. You know, once it knows the rules of the game, then it can do whatever it wants. So I suppose that you can create an AI or a series of AI that can create a game once it knows the rules of what you're looking for. But that kind of is, is the self-defeating purpose. And I also feel like you're going to want to have a human touch on your games. No, you know? for sure. It'll definitely never be the 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 thing that people prefer. Could you like I said, like, could you make like an annualized generic kind of sports game? Probably you probably just like uh, scan all the uh, what is it? Scan all the current players and like just skin them onto current animation rigs. And that'd be probably fine, but I, 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 even even something as simple as that, relative to what we're talking about, I think that's like like twenty thirty five at the earliest, you know? Right, right. And it's it's interesting because even with some sports games like uh, Madden, for instance, you know, Madden has every player is real, every player has really granular stats, and it's always a joke about how NFL players take to their character if they feel like they're being, you know, shortchanged or whatever, and. Uh, Real people go to all of the NFL teams and all of their camp and their mini camps and their training camps and their games and do, they score them manually. So it's not like which is unbelievable, but true. And so it, you can't even teach a computer like, for instance, Madden would be really interesting to develop if they could teach an AI to be like, here's every NFL game from this year. Right. You watch all of the NFL games, compare our scores based on how the players react and then just update them, you know, like that would be fucking cool and so easy for them to do in in premise. But like I said, the human elements not even been taken out of that yet. So it's kind of exciting, actually, that, you know, we might have games in a couple of years where one of the selling points is that it was made without the help of AI. You know, like that would be pretty. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this game was made by an all human team. And uh, while another game might say, like, we've saved 10,000 development hours by using this really advanced AI that lets us create these great randomly generated worlds. A lot of exciting stuff to uh, think about in that regard. Mm -hmm. Chris, Antonio King wrote into us, said, I don't think there is anything that can save GameStop, but do you think they could receive a bump if the new consoles are backwards compatible disc wise? I haven't stepped into a GameStop in over six years, but I would no doubt step into one to browse their retro catalog as I would rather see the condition of the discs in person. Hell, I even wonder if that was even on GameStop's mind when deciding to take a more retro approach. So what Antonio is saying here, because we already know that the PS5 is going to be backwards compatible with PS4. But what Antonio is wondering is what a lot of us are wondering right now. Will you be able to put PS3 discs into this thing or even further back? And even if they don't read them natively, like as far as I understand, Xbox One doesn't read the Xbox 360 disc. It basically is a ticket for you to download the game on your Xbox One. That's how it works, right? So I I'll be real. I, I, I'm not super sure how that whole thing works. That's like such a weird. There's a lot of weird technological wizardry that they use. As far as I know, it doesn't read the disc. It's it more so emulates it. I, 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 but even that, I don't know, because like you, you do download it. It's a it's a weird system they got over there. It works super well, um, but I don't feel like it's necessarily reading the disc because I don't know I don't know if a Blu-ray disc uh, like a Blu-ray player can even read. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't know if yeah, those things can yeah. read media from the 360 generation, whatever the hell those uh, CDs that they were using are. Yeah, you're right because well, because I'm trying to wonder about how this might work because. 
I think that on Xbox One, if you put in like Fallout 3, that's a backwards compatible game. I don't think it reads the game off the disc. I think it reads that the disc is in it and then allows you to download it for free. So the only reason I bring that up, if that's true, is because Antonio, even if you were to go into GameStop and buy the disc, the retro disc, my assumption is that Sony is just going to say like, okay, PS5 knows that this PS3 disc is in there. It's dead space, let's say. Yeah. And they're like, okay, we can't, this, this optical drive cannot read this disc, but this will tell the PSN that you own the game and then you can download it or whatever the case might be. Yeah. I think that that's going to be how it would work. So I don't think it saves GameStop simply because it's just another middleman that's unnecessary. You can just go buy the game if you want and get that ticket to download the game, which is, I think, the way it's going to work. But what would be way cooler is to just make all the PS3 games available digitally for really cheap. Yeah. You know, no, I would agree. So we'll see. But yeah, no, I think the retro approach is GameStop's, I think, somewhat astute decision to get out of current and next gen stuff as much as they're getting into older stuff, because you're never going to be able to buy a digital NES game cartridge. You can buy the virtual console game or emulate it, but you're you're not going to be able to. Those aren't being manufactured anymore. Someone's got to sell those. So I think that that's why they went in that direction. But I agree with Antonio. I don't know if you disagree with him, Chris, but I don't think it's going to save GameStop, but it might buy them some time. It'll buy them time. But yeah, I, I think that's a pretty clearly open and shut case. I would hope to God that they figure this backwards compatibility stuff out really quickly. Like it, it would be a shame if we had another another generation that was also locked out of all those all those classic games again. Like my God. Yeah, it it's just not gonna be acceptable. It's like we've said in the past, right? Like PS1 classics aren't even available on PS4. Yeah. Makes no sense. It's it's so it's so it's really it really is authentically baffling. And and um it would be cool if they did like uh the emulation thing because I know like on on Xbox if you run like a 360 game you can uh, press I'll translate it to PS4 controls, but if you press the options button and the uh, touchpad at the same time, you open up the original like kind of dashboard for the for the 360. So it's like it's it, oh it, cool yeah it, like emulates it's 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 I feel like it emulates the 360, which would be cool. Yeah, I I think that's so neat, and I, I give Microsoft so much credit as we have in the past for just figuring that out. Yeah, uh, knowing what the Xbox One was supposed to be and was supposed to do and. This was something they had to do with firmware and and figure it out that way. And they did it. And I think that that's really unbelievable. And I think Sony has kind of gotten away with one this this generation by not approaching things the same way because they're both running on similar architecture. And you just think, like I said, like I just feel like they're holding back this solution because it's something they really want to have a big pop with with PS5. But yeah, man, Chris, I'll be fucking dismayed if this thing doesn't go any further back than PS4. You know, I'll be really, really dismayed about that and really bummed out, shocked and chagrined. Yeah, no doubt. Just I, I, that would be so unbelievable. That would be so that would be brutal if the PS5 can't read the PS3's PSN at the very least. So you can download those games if you want to go download like Shatter or something or Dead Nation. Like if you can't do something like that, I'm going to be fucking I'm going to be fucking pissed. They're going to be hearing it from me. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Chris, the man or woman named Plague Rat Army. Oh, OK. Wrote into us. It's nice. So the hello, Col- hello, Colin and Chris. As you guys have said, console manufacturers usually take a hit on the sale of the price of a console in order to make money off of the larger player base with software sales. With the prospect of moving on from the PS4 to PS5 next year being less appetizing for some people because of the quality that the PS4 already delivers, would it be wise for Sony to shake to shock everyone with an incredibly low price point? They would have to sell the consoles at an even greater loss than usual, but the trade-off could be worth it. 
Think of how many people would buy a PS5 if it came out at literally $249.99. And if Microsoft releases their own console for almost double that price, how many Xbox users would switch over? Well, this would be incredibly tantalizing, but I also want people to do the math on this, okay? Just to know how much Sony would actually lose. Assume that the console cost, just to keep it real simple, the console costs $350 to make. I think it's going to cost substantially more than that to make. But let's say it costs $350 and they sold it for $240 or $250, so $100 off. And let's say they sold 10 million of those consoles, right? Now, my math could be off, but I'm pretty sure that's a billion dollar loss. Yeah. You know what I mean? So <laughs> you they can't do that. You know what I mean? Now, they can sell it and break even. They can sell it and maybe lose 10, 20, 30 dollars. When we're talking about a console being sold at a loss, we're talking about a console being sold at a loss of that amount of money, not at a hundred dollars or. And if you're really talking about two hundred and forty dollars, like now, now let's say, Chris, that the console costs four hundred dollars to make and they sold it at two fifty. So that's one hundred and fifty dollars. I'm doing the math right now. Right. One hundred and fifty times. Ten million is, yeah, $1.5 billion in losses. You know, they, they you just can't, you can't do it. Yeah. So, um, so you have to keep, because PS3 was being sold at a loss at $600, which is, I don't know how that's possible, but it's true. And that loss, I think, was somewhere up below $50, and they were eating shit. In fact, they didn't really want to sell many consoles because the games weren't selling. So if you were selling consoles into the wild and no one was buying any games particularly first party games, then you're losing even more. You'd actually rather sell fewer consoles. So I know that the math is really complicated, but you don't want to do that. Yeah. Uh, Sony could Sony couldn't possibly justify that le level of loss, because when you expand that to 100 million units sold, uh, sold at 100, that's that's 100 billion dollars in losses. You know? Yeah. yeah. You, you just can't do it. You can't do it. It's 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 not economically feasible. And also just Sony is not the they're not the manufacturer to do that. You know, if anything, the fact that Microsoft's games are on pretty much everything now puts them at a far puts them in a situation that if, if anybody would do it, they would be the ones selling their console at like a significantly lower price. And even they're not going to do that. So I, I, I don't I think this is like a bit of a dream. Definitely. And I love where his I, rat rat plague army. I love where your head's at. But we just have to talk about the economics because that is such a serious risk. They might have cash on hand, actually, to withstand some of that loss. Yeah. But yeah. that's a loss that would necessary. That would be a their stockholders and their board would have to be like, we have to make sure we make this money back. You know, like getting consoles into the wild is great, but you would probably have to keep undercutting because once you got the console into the wild, then you have to be like, all right, well, now we have to sell the games. We really are desperate to sell these games. So now do we have to cut the price? And I think the the better bet is to get this thing in at three ninety nine ninety nine with seventy dollar games. I think that that's probably the best you're gonna get. But I could be wrong. Yeah, we'll see how it all shakes out. Chris Labrado Sanchez wrote into us and said, "Hi, hi, Count Chocula, Colin, and Chupacabra, Chris. What's your take on game music and its importance to the story and gameplay?" I know you, Colin, he says, regularly play games while listening to podcasts or music, but I find it's pretty essential on many games as it provides cues, such as when all as such as when all nearby enemies have been killed or when something is lurking around the corner. I find myself listening to game soundtracks and they do help. Uh, they do such a great job of making me feel like I'm still playing the game. 
most notably The Last of Us and Halo. We've talked about this a bit in the past, Chris, but he specifically mentioned something that we've not talked about, which is it's game music and game soundtracks in service of the story and the gameplay. I like how he brings up here the cue about when all enemies in an area are dead. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, like, for sure. Uh, a, a lot of games handle that where like the music stops playing or something like that. Now, it's true that I play like I've been playing Borderlands 3 for probably almost 100 hours now. It must be. And I've not listened to anything in the game. I just listen to podcasts and stuff. But when I went back and played The Last of Us, I listened to the game because I really think for me, it depends on the experience. Like the first time I go into medieval, I'm not going to play without the soundtrack, but I might make that I might make that decision while I'm playing. But I can't imagine playing The Last of Us Part 2 or Ghost of Tsushima with soundtracks in the in the background. But how do you feel about about sound in terms of its service to these particular aspects of the game? Yeah, no, cer- certain games are really, really heavily reliant on them. I think stealth games are pretty big, too. Like Splinter Cell, there's no visual cue when an, an AI spots you. There are only There's this one specific bass line that plays that you have to be really paying attention to. And obviously, it's a stealth game, so you're going to want to be listening. And Hitman, you can't play while listening to a podcast. You just can't. <laughs> Uh, because that whole game is basically eavesdropping and like gaining information from, uh, uh, you know, people's or AI talking to each other. So there are certain games that I think you just need to play with the diegetic sounds of the game playing without any kind of distraction. Uh, Last of Us and Halo, I would agree, are, are two of the ones that like have their soundtracks specifically serve the story the most. I've played The Last of Us already. I've played Halo countless times. So at this point, I don't necessarily need to listen to it to to get the experience that I want out of it because I just kind of know everything about it already. But definitely when I'm going through a game the first time, you know, a game like God of War or, or, or Halo or The Last of Us or stealth games like Hitman, those are definitely games that I will not run through the first time listening to podcasts. But, you know, you can replay anything uh, and do that. Sure. And I also don't want to make it seem because I think I might have made it seem like and this is my own fault, like this to the audience. I don't just pop in a game for the first time and then li- and then blast fucking Rage Against the Machine while I'm playing it or something, you know, like I, I make sure and I calibrate what I'm looking for in that particular experience so that I know one way or the other. I don't make just an assumption. Yeah. And sometimes I'm surprised by the assumptions that I make. Right. Like Concrete Genie, when I was going around trying to get some of the collectibles, I still wanted to listen to it. Yeah. Even though I would have assumed that that wasn't a game I wanted to listen to. But, you know, then there are other games like when I was playing. Uh, what's a good example? Like Rage 2, I immediately was like, I don't need to listen to this. No, yeah, you know? same. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I just want to be clear. I'm not like just, I'm not like auto calibrated to not listen to the game soundtrack, but I am a, a dedicated multitasker. And the only way that I can really listen to podcasts in particular is doing it while I play games. Otherwise, I'll just never listen to them at all. Yeah. So, uh, Chris, Ray Am- uh, Ahmed or Ahmad wrote into us and uh, I don't know how much you're going to say about this, but I want to get to this question. He says, yo, five guys, Colin and Baconator, Chris. Uh, or Chris, what the hell kind of burger or sandwich do you like? No, Chris likes bacon. Well, do you like the Baconator? That's from Wendy's, right? That's Wendy's. I yeah, yeah I like it. I like bacon okay. and I like burgers. So hell yeah. Yeah. Chris likes his bacon cheeseburgers. It says it seems obvious that Final Fantasy VII Remake has reignited excitement for the franchise. And as a longtime fan, I'm hyped, but also kind of worried. I'm pretty sure you're eager to play it, Colin. And I think it left a decently strong impression on you, Chris. But given Final Fantasy XV's development and launch, I really wonder when Square Enix plans to make their or where Square Enix plans to take their most valuable franchise. It seems to me that they've been trying very hard to find a middle ground between JRPG and Western RPG, trying to create a game that caters to a triad of RPG centric gamers, along with those who prefer action oriented and narrative heavy games. It's very well put. 
Final Fantasy 15, while a great game, not a great Final Fantasy, at, my, at least in my opinion. Final Fantasy 7 Remake, however, does not look like it's going to get trapped in development hell. If this remake is successful, wouldn't it incentivize Square to remake the other classics? Not that I'd mind, but I feel conflicted because while this means there's a possibility for either 4, 6, uh, 8, and 9 to get remade in the next 10 or 20 years, doesn't it also mean that the current team aren't capable of creating Final Fantasy games that are just as good or better than uh, 1 through 10? What do you guys think is the best for mainline Final Fantasy franchise or the Final Fantasy franchise? Chris, before I even get into this, Final Fantasy VII Remake has left a pretty good impression on you, hasn't it? Yeah, no, for sure. It, it's uh, shocking that I'm interested in it at all because <laughs> I'm just not that kind of person. I don't really like uh, follow JRPGs or turn-based games. And I, I think the, that action aspect to it is the thing that made me really take uh, more of a look at it. And also just it looks beautiful. It does. It looks stunning. And, you know, this is a good example for me about letting go of narratives, right? It would have been very easy for me to, after have shit talk, being shit talked this game since I was at IGN, I've been shit talking this game, to finally see it and then the release date and all that kind of stuff and totally turn around. This is exactly the perfect situation that gamers want to find themselves in. And I don't often find myself in that situation where I'm like kind of just beholden to this game where I'm like, yeah, I guess I'll play it and I kind of have to play it and all of that. And then it, they show it and I'm like, wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, this looks so good. And... So it shows us, first of all, I think, hopefully it shows all of us as an audience to keep an open mind, which is what I certainly did. But to his point, I think Final Fantasy seven or Final Fantasy rather generally is in a little bit of a, a, a tough space because Final Fantasy seven uh, remake is got people a lot of a lot of people really excited. But Final Fantasy 15 had this really slow burn and ended up being a lot better received than I thought it was going to be. And then I thought it was going to be even when it first came out. But you also have to remember that they did abandon their DLC plan almost entirely for Final Fantasy 15 and I don't know exactly how to read into that. Yeah. For people that don't know, they were going to they were going to release all of these DLC packs and I think they only released or are planning on releasing like one. And so I don't know what that means, but I think that they're in, in between a little bit of a rock and a hard place with Final Fantasy 16, which we've not seen yet, certainly it's in development. But I will say I would love to see them, you know, my first instinct Chris is to say like, "Oh god, please don't touch Final Fantasy 4 and Final Fantasy 6 because those are the ones that I really really love." But with what they did with Final Fantasy VII, we haven't played it yet, but f from the look of it, I'm not so sure I'm against them doing something different with some of these games. You know, some of these games that I hold really near and dear to my heart. Now, Final Fantasy IV was remade. Technically, it was remade on DS about 10 years ago, for people that don't remember. Um, it was re remade in that chibi f style uh, that, Final F that Square actually started with Final Fantasy III on DS um, when they released that for the first time in the West. So four has been remade, but six is really the sacred game to a lot of Final Fantasy fans, including me. And I've always wanted them to just re-release it as it is, or maybe like update the sprites and stuff like that. But now with this, I don't know. I mean, why wouldn't I be open-minded considering what they've done with Final Fantasy or what they're doing with Final Fantasy VII Remake? I think there's a lot of exciting possibilities with this. Yeah, no. You know? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think I would agree. Anything that looks cool at this point, it's, these are storied, this is a storied franchise with a lot of... Uh, you know, important games in it, and I, don't, I think those games stand up pretty well, uh, at least as far as the fans are concerned. So any any opportunity you have to revisit something and do something kind of like different and cool with it, I'm totally down for it. I think six is probably the one that they're identifying as the next remake, and and people might remember that they were originally going to remake five uh, in that chibi style, but they never did. Five is not a beloved Final Fantasy game, but I actually like it quite a bit. It's a class based Final Fantasy game, but for me, Chris, I, I look at it and. I just get really excited and I, I think that to raise 
question, his inquiry, I think we can have it the best of all ways here because he uses the the, the reference of the triad, which I agree. But I think you can get the new Final Fantasy, the new style Final Fantasy with six or 16. I think you can re-release the old games in their own state, like four and six. I think that those are begging to just be launched again on PS4, right? Yeah. But I also think you can then remake them. I think you can do all of that. And uh, we'll see how Square Enix decides to balance it. Is final, he, he talks about uh, the Final Fantasy being their most important franchise. I'm not so sure that's in, that's true anymore. Dragon Quest is pretty important and always has been pretty important, especially with this merge Square Enix. But it's certainly up there and they need to they need to treat it with care. So I think we're going to see how this goes with Final Fantasy seven remake. Also, keeping in mind that seven remake should have more than one part. We don't know what's going to happen with that. Yeah. And then Final Fantasy 16 is in development. Final Fantasy 14 is still continuing on. So there's a lot for us to, to consider here. But I'm excited. I'm really looking forward to that game, Chris. Really am. No, it looks cool. Chris, let's end with Jeff Scott, who said, Hey, CNC, are PS5 controllers going to cost more than $60? I'm of the opinion that controllers for this generation are already too expensive. It's especially egregious that a pair of Joy-Cons for Nintendo retail for $80. That is fucking nuts. With all of the enhancements coming to the new console, how much do you think consumers will be willing to pay for a PS5 controller? Happy sex number episode and go Jaguars. Thank you so much, Jeff. This is unknowable, but my assumption is, is that the controller will cost more. Although I think that controllers do cost too much. I don't know why they cost so much. I don't get it. Yeah, I I don't really get it either. I, I think the Joy-Con was the most egregious thing. I, I think, how much is a PS4 or, or an Xbox One controller? It's like 60? I think, he says $60. I think 60 to 70. I want to say that I bought a couple DualShocks for 70, but I could be wrong on that. Yeah, they are, they, they're, they're definitely up there. Uh, but I'm also like a psycho who buys like elite controllers. So, right, right. I don't know if I'm the best uh, person <laughs> to, to judge the uh, the value of a little of a little game pad. Well, you want to talk about getting stuff stuff out at cost or for a loss. We never talk about it peripherals. And don't you think it would be worth it for them to get as many of these controllers in the wild so that more people play more games together? You know, like that's. I'm not saying that that's a big selling point. It's not like that Xbox controller with the disabled kid when all the kids came over and they were playing games and all that kind of stuff or they're playing together or whatever. That's cool. But I'm talking about more like, man, I only have one controller and I have overcooked and I've been playing it, but my buddy's over and I don't have a controller and I don't want to spend $60 on a controller, but maybe I would spend 40, you know, like to me, I look at it like that. I'm like, you would think you would just want to make this as easy as possible, but Sony's obsessed with extracting value uh, and profit out of peripherals. That's why Vita died, you know, so it's not a huge surprise to me. It's just weird to me that the controller is worth a fifth fifth as much as the console. Really? Like that, that just seems extreme. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, no, but it's 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 baffling. I I assume they're going to cost more, though, next generation, because I assume there's going to be a lot more components to them. Uh, And if they I mean, simple math, if they're more complicated than this time then they're going to cost more. That could be a, you make a good point, Chris, and that that could be why they were eager to talk about what the controller had in it, even though they didn't show it, which is something that they didn't do last time with PS4. Like we didn't know what the touchpad was until they showed us the touchpad. Yeah. Um, we saw pictures of it leaked out, but we didn't. So they're talking about haptic feedback and they're talking about the, uh, the triggers and all that kind of stuff. They might be talking about that to set expectations. Yeah. Um, that this thing is going to be expensive, but man, I hope that they don't make that mistake. I don't know, man. I think uh, <laughs> I think I think it's pretty clear. Like I would be I would be shocked if if they if the controllers remained sixty dollars. Like that would actually be shocking to me. Yeah, me too. Just because of, well, even with inflation, maybe you can make that argument. Your point about the 
devices being more sophisticated, which is true. But I'm getting I don't I don't know, man. I'm getting a bad feeling about some of this stuff. I don't know if that's just my way, but I'm not like super confident uh, right now in my in my mind and my heart. Yeah. About the way some of this is going to go. But we're going to find and, and that goes really back to like their weird Japanese press release about how they haven't even figured out backwards compatibility yet. Yeah. We're working you know, to achieve. Yeah. It's, it's just very weird verbiage to use for something that yeah, should be uh, should be a given. I agree specifically because even if they were working behind the scenes and they're working on behind the scenes on a lot of stuff we don't know about, you think they would just shut the fuck up about it because it's going to be there. So them saying that to me indicates that they're laying this, some weird seeds about this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, <laughs> which I is mean, making me a little nervous. We, we've got a whole year, so we'll see. A whole eventually. Year be, yeah. A whole year to be dire and uh, and uh, ill predictive, let's say. Chris, that's all I have for this episode, this sexual episode 69 of Sacred Symbols of PlayStation podcast. Do you have any closing thoughts? No, I think uh, I, I, I just I really want to play medieval and I want it to be out right now. This is a big week, dude. The Outer Worlds. Yeah. Modern Warfare. Medieval. Modern Warfare. Man, oh, man. A lot of stuff for us to get through. Uh, Death Stranding right on the horizon. Right after that. Very exciting stuff, man. Yeah. Really, really it's going to be a good fall. I feel like even though I'm like I said earlier, I'm overwhelmed by by what's going on with all these games coming out. I feel like it's going to settle by November and December into a manageable thing where I, I'm confident that I'm going to medieval is going to be a few hours. I'm going to probably have that done in platinum by the time we talk again. Uh, but the outer worlds and modern warfare and a couple of the others death stranding. I'm confident that I can get through all this. Yeah. By by year's end. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think so, too. Uh, well, we appreciate all of you guys out there listening and supporting our show, whether you listen on free feeds or support us on Patreon dot com slash Collins last stand. Remember, supporting us on Patreon. Uh, you guys are the reason that we're able to do this show. You get Sacred Symbols Plus, our weekly additive to this. That's only on Patreon. You get to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. You get early ad-free access to every episode and more. So thank you so much uh, for supporting us on Patreon. Thank you so much for your kind reviews and nice star ratings on iTunes and elsewhere. Uh, go support Chris on YouTube. Have you put up a new YouTube video recently? You did. Uh, did I? In the last week or so, did you put up something new? I, I don't even remember, honestly. God almighty. <laughs> well, if you don't know that, I definitely don't know. But go support. Yeah, Chris. I, I, I did. I did something sort of recently. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I, oh, yeah. I did a video on the Joker, the all the uh, Joker video or or what is it? The um, all the headlines about uh, Joker being like a what is it? Inspiring violence at the theaters or something. Yeah, I dude, I had never seen, you know, not to be uh, snarky, but I had never seen a media so heavily trying to make something bad happen. Yeah, it was really, uh, really disconcerting. A little weird. It's a little weird. Yeah. But uh, but nonetheless, man, uh, appreciate your time, Chris. Of course. Uh, appreciate all of you out there. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. I almost said take care, uh, but I'm not going to do it. Go uh, goodbye. Uh, take care, guy. <laughs> Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded right here in sunny Santa Monica, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gunn. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. Any snail mail can be sent to the CLS P.O. Box. P.O. Box 1233, Santa Monica, California, 90406. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. 
As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Chris Adams, Carlos Algarit, Morgan Ashley, Saul Balcazar, Taylor Barkley, Adam Barnes, Martin Beck, Tyler Bello, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixey, Eric R. Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Nick C., Alex Cabrera, Patrick Harper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Rodney Coleman, Simon Conception, Brad Cooley, John Cordero, Gio Corsi, Nick Cottrell, Philip Crone, Daniel D'Amour, Colin Davenport, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Liam Fagan, Jerome Ferreira, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Chris Galvin, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Salem Ghanem El Ghanem, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Jonathan H., Eric Harden, Tyler Harris, Kyle Hagel, Shane Hendrickson, Wyan Henry, Robbie Hensley, Scott Hernandez, Asa Haas, Johnny Humphreys, Stephen Insler, Blake Israel, Azan Isa El Ricey, Josh Yeager, Garrett Jaggard, Joshua Jonathan, Paul Joyce, Greg Juleps, Anton Kay, Patrick Kelly, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Jackson Lostaqua, Joe Lawson, Don Q. Lee, Matthew Lenz, Patrick Leslie, Dustin Lewis, Keith Adrian Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Scott Lovelace, Josh M, Kiet Mai, Ryan T. Mandel, Ross Maranka, Matt Martin, Sean Mason, Jordan Mouse, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartland, Raul Melendez, Andrew Mendoza, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, George Anthony Nunez, Brian Ott, Jesse Owen, Jorge Palomino, Andrew Parker, Zach Parsley, Daniel Parsons, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Matthew Perdue, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Travis Plymouth, Jeff Pollard, Louis Powell, Lawrence F. Prokop, Nathan R., Ryan Reeves, Michael Renner, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Mark Richardson, Daniel Rivas, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Jose Salinas, John Scholes, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Alex Schutt, Glennon Cole Simper, Joshua Smallwood, Shane St. Pierre, Ahmad Tamar, Will Thielander, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Tremblay, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Troy Walters, Connor Walton, Isaac Wasteman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, David Wright, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zuniga, Bloody Fang, Organic Produce, Casual Misfit. Gaming, Homeworld Hub, Mason, Throw7, McDog18, Infinite, Madmock Media, Not Your Real Dad, Mubarak, Chris, Richter86, Hugo's Desk, Andrew, Ian, Chris, Dav9834, and Rainick. You can host the best backyard barbecue when you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I or download the app today.